This is Jocko Podcast number 78 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Nightmare. Now, that's a word that I use oftentimes to describe the most horrible things and the most wretched things. And in my hierarchy of adjectives, nightmare is right alongside of hell. And I'm not sure which one is worse in my mind. That's why I say they're right alongside each other because hell is beyond the worst thing your mind can imagine. And that's basically what a nightmare is when you're asleep and your mind delves into the most horrific things beyond what you can consciously and willfully imagine in your own head. That's what a nightmare is. Now, what if there was a place that was worse than a nightmare? And it was a real place. Who could create such a place and the answer to that is we can I shall never forget how I was roused one night by the groans of a fellow prisoner who threw himself about in his sleep obviously having a horrible nightmare Since I had always been especially sorry for people who suffer from fearful dreams or deliria, I wanted to wake the poor man. Suddenly, I drew back the hand which was ready to shake him, frightened at the thing I was about to do. At that moment, I became intensely conscious of the fact that no dream, no matter how horrible, could be as bad as the reality of the camp which surrounded us and to which I was about to recall him. And that's a quote from the book, Man's Search for Meaning, by Viktor Frankl, which we'll be peering into today. And it's a book about the Nazi concentration camps, which are really as he pointed out there, worse than any nightmare we can imagine. Here's a Holocaust survivor, Eddie Weinstein, on the death and the atrocities in Treblinka. By now the transports were coming every day. One was much like the next. The same incidents recurred again and again. Once, as I swept out the interior of a car, an SS man suddenly struck me with his whip and ordered me to help a woman who was unable to stand and climb out of the car. The idea was to show his victims how well the ill were being treated. Then he ordered one of the workers to take the woman woman to the field, the field hospital, for care. The newcomers really believed that the ailing woman would be taken to an infirmary. None of them realized that the field hospital was in fact just a giant pit 
about 30 yards in diameter, which was always ablaze. They would place those who were sick or disabled on the ground at the edge of the pit facing in. The SS man in in charge circulated among them and shot them in the back of the neck. Then the workers cast them into the pit. Some of the victims were still breathing when they were tossed in with the other bodies. The pit was separated from the spacious field by a barrier of fresh pine branches, which were replaced from time to time to conceal the infirmary from the newcomers until the last moment. 20 minutes after I helped the woman climb out of the railroad car, I was told that some infants were sitting by the pit and no one else was there because the SS soldier had taken his lunch break. I gathered some trash and went over there. I saw the woman who I had removed from the car, still breathing, sitting at the edge of the pit and staring in fright into the burning inferno and its contents. The half-cremated bodies of old people and children mixed with smoldering trash. She tried to stand up, but her legs would not hold her. She looked at the workers who stirred the embers, remnants of human beings, so they would burn better. Nearby were about a dozen infants, too young to have learned how to walk. They were not crying. They certainly did not understand what was happening. They looked about, almost certainly, in hopes of finding their mother or father. Later I heard that right after he returned from his lunch break, the SS man shot them all and ordered the workers to throw the tiny bodies into the flames. Of all my memories of that accursed place, the vision of these babies is undoubtedly the worst. I see their faces whenever I remember Treblinka. As I write these lines more than 50 years after that day, I still cannot overcome the horror. In another report, here Martin Spett of Tarnow, Poland, describes the massacre of Tarnow Jews in an interview. We heard the columns of Jews under the German escort at night. It was going constantly. They were passing our house because this was already on the outskirts of the city, the cemetery, and they were marching them to the woods behind the city. As we found out later, they were all shot over there. During the day, I looked out through the shingles. My father said I shouldn't look, but anyway, I was a kid. I was curious. And the roof was overlooking the cemetery, and wagons with bodies, dead bodies, were coming in. Groups. They were bringing in groups of Jewish people that had to dig trenches. They had to dig ditches. And the bodies dumped in. And after those Jews that dug the ditches, they were shot also. And pushed in by another group that came in after them. Into those ditches and lime was poured over the bodies. And the next group covered up those ditches and dug other ditches. They brought in pregnant women, and they didn't use any bullets. They used bayonets. 
the screams of the mothers that their children they tore their children out of their arms and the screams of the children I still hear and Solomon Radaski who is the only survivor from the 78 people in his family described the concentration camp they throw the people in the crematoriums the children I will never forget alive they throw them in the crematoriums they grabbed by an arm by a leg by the head and throw them into the ovens there it was so tragic the cries and people when crying there you know it was so terrible I can feel it now I can even see the people the other people were crying the children were hollering mama daddy help me mama daddy help me it was terrible and one more report on Treblinka from Henry Gold and the worst thing that happens to a person in that instance he loses self-respect and that's exactly what happened to the majority of the people some of them even lost their minds they couldn't take it they couldn't take the hunger they couldn't take the beatings they couldn't take the cold no clothing and the uncertainty and the uncertainty I think that was the worst thing that can happen to a person you didn't know from one moment to the next what was going to happen life was very cheap a person was alive one minute the next minute he was shot killed beaten up beaten to death torn apart by dogs and so on life was very very cheap and that's the way the Germans liked it that particular camp was governed by the Jewish Jewish police and so on the Germans did not stay in the camp they were on the outside but the life inside of the camp was just as bad without the Germans being right there than if they would be the Jewish police was I don't know you take a person in that situation and you give them a little power and he becomes the same as the oppressor himself there were some policemen that were not bad but there were a lot of them that were ruthless there were others that would beat people and do all kinds of things that would degrade them and so on especially women they cut their hair off and they look like men they look like scarecrows and they would get beaten up by the Jewish police just as bad as the man for no reason at all if they wanted a little more soup where they were distributing soup and there was some left and they were gonna give everybody a little bit and the Jewish police with their sticks and rubber hoses would beat them half senseless 
And that's what happens when the conditions are the way they were then. When a person becomes an animal and loses self-respect that is willing to get a beating and get beaten half senseless just to get a little bit of soup. Either you died or if you didn't die, the Germans would come and take you away. The filth was just terrible in the camp. In the barracks, you had cots. I mean bunks where everybody slept on straw. There were no covers, was no pillows, nothing. You slept in your clothes in the winters, in the winter because you're afraid to get cold. The only heating was a pot-bellied stove in the middle of the barrack. When somebody stole some wood in the factory or something, then we had a fire, otherwise it was freezing. And the only warmth they had if you huddled together and they kept warm that way. But nobody would get undressed. The lice were eating you up alive. Once a month you were allowed to take a shower. And we had to walk to Camp A to go to the showers and that means a 10 mile walk. 10 miles there and 10 miles back. A lot of people were too weak to walk and those people hardly ever took a shower. There was no hot water in the washroom, it was only cold and in the winter you were afraid to wash up because there was nothing to wipe yourself with, therefore you would walk out in the cold winter and freeze to death. And Henry Gold, brothers, and both of his parents were all killed in the gas chambers. And from the Buchenwald report, which was translated and edited with an introduction by David A. Hackett, I will now describe the crematoriums and the transports. At the station, 2,000 people got off the trains. They had to throw away all their luggage. Afterward, the men and women were divided into two groups, at which the larger boys were assigned to the group with the men. Then that great devourer of Jews, Mengele, drove by in a car seeking out the strongest from each transport. They numbered around 30 out of 2,000. The remainder were led away by SS Technical Sergeant Mole, the officer of the crematorium. The elderly were loaded onto dump trucks and then dumped into burning trenches while still alive. The remainder were led to the gas chambers. Meanwhile, new transports were arriving. In front of the gas chamber was a dressing room. On its walls was written in all languages, put shoes into the cubby holes and tie them together so you will not lose them. After the showers, you will receive hot coffee. Here, poor victims undressed themselves and went into the chamber. There were three columns for the ventilators through which the gas poured in. A special work detail with truncheons drove the people into the chamber. When the room was full, small children were thrown in through a window. Sergeant Mole grabbed infants by their legs and smashed their skulls against the wall. Then the gas was let into the chamber. The lungs of the victims slowly burst, and after three minutes, a loud clamoring could be heard. 
Then the chamber was open, and those who still showed signs of life were beaten to death. The prisoners of the special work details then pulled the corpses out, took their rings off, and cut their hair, which was gathered up, put in sacks, and shipped to factories. Then they arranged the corpses in piles of ten each. After Sergeant Mole had counted them, they were taken to the ovens, or if the crematoriums were insufficient, thrown into fire trenches. Once it happened that a victim crawled out of a burning trench, he was beaten to death with truncheons. Once Sergeant Mole put a naked woman in the trench and shot her in the genitals. Another time, Mole found a ring on a member of the special work detail. He ordered naphtha, poured over him, and had it lighted. He hanged a man by his hands and shot him until his arms were torn through. Then he hanged him up by the feet and repeated the process. Once, Sergeant Mole took a family of six. First he shot the youngest in the presence of the rest, then he shot the older ones, and finally, their father and mother. And that's the testimony of Jonda Weiss, who was 15 years old at Birkenau. So I think it's safe to say that this is a situation that is definitely worse than a nightmare. And what possibly can we take away from that? I think the best thing we can do is try and learn. And I think one of the best places to learn and take lessons away from the Holocaust is from the book that I started off with today called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Let's go to the book. Let us take the case of a transport, which was officially announced to transfer a certain number of prisoners to another camp. But it was fairly safe to guess that its final destination would be the gas chambers. A selection of sick or feeble prisoners incapable of work would be sent to one of the big central camps which were fitted with gas chambers and crematoriums. The selection process was the signal for a free fight among all the prisoners or of group against group. All that mattered was that one's own name and that of one's friends were crossed off the list of victims, though everyone knew that for each man saved, another victim had to be found. A definite number of prisoners had to go with each transport. It did not really matter which, since each of them was nothing but a number. On their admission to the camp, 
all their documents had been taken from them together with other possessions each prisoner therefore had an opportunity to claim a fictitious name or profession and for various reasons many did this the authorities were interested only in the captives numbers these numbers were often tattooed on their skin and also had to be sewn to a certain spot on their trousers jacket or coat any guard who wanted to make a charge against a prisoner just glanced at his number and how we dreaded those glances he never asked for his name to return to the convoy about to depart there was neither time nor desire to consider moral or ethical issues every man was controlled by one thought only to keep himself alive for the family waiting for him at home and to save his friends with no hesitation therefore he would arrange for another prisoner another number to take his place in the transport as I have already mentioned the process of selecting capos was a negative one only the most brutal of the prisoners were chosen for this job so capos were prisoners Jewish prisoners that got selected to help run the prison camp and and capo I tried to find the etymology of where that came from and the best or the closest or the thing that made the most sense to me from what I read was was they had two words combined together comrade police and the in German those got shortened to capo so some of these and you already heard one of those earlier testimonies talking about the Jewish police inside the prisons and how they were just as bad as in many cases as the Germans themselves back to the book but apart from the selection of capos which was undertaken by the SS there was a sort of self-selecting process going on the whole time among all the prisoners on the average only those prisoners could keep alive who after years of trekking from camp to camp had lost all scruples in their fight for existence they were prepared to use every means honest and otherwise even brutal force theft and betrayal of friends in order to save themselves we who have come back by the aid of many lucky chances or miracles whatever one may choose to call them we know the best of us did not return so there's a dynamic that you don't think of immediately when you think of the concentration camps number one you don't think about the capos the Jewish police that are forced into this situation and then the other thing you don't think about is this the fact that the people that were going to survive were basically I'm making a very broad say but but you know from what Victor Frankl's saying here it was the people that were willing just to do anything to survive including betraying their friends and he's saying straight up we know the best of us did not return Mm. and that is something that you don't think about and we probably don't think about it because we don't want to think about it Mm -hmm. because when you start thinking about what would you do to survive what would you do to survive what would I do to survive 
And that's a question I, I don't think a lot of people want to know the answer to. And it's very easy to go through life and never have to answer that question. He's talking a little bit now about what life was like in the camp. Back to the book. Somewhere it is said that man cannot exist without sleep for more than a stated number of hours. Quite wrong. I had been convinced that there were certain things I just could not do. I could not sleep without this, or I could not live without that or the other. The first night in Auschwitz, we slept in beds which were constructed in tiers. On each tier, measuring about six and one half to eight feet, slept nine men directly on the boards. Two blankets would be shared by each nine men. We could, of course, lie only on our sides, crowded and huddled against each other, which had some advantages because of the bitter cold. Though it was forbidden to take shoes up to the bunks, some people did use them secretly as pillows in spite of the fact that they were caked with mud. Otherwise, one's head had to rest on the crook of an almost dislocated arm. And yet sleep came and brought oblivion and relief from the pain for a few hours. The thought of suicide was entertained by nearly everyone, if only for a brief time. It was born of hopelessness of the situation, the constant danger of death looming over us daily and hourly, and the closeness of deaths suffered by many of the others. From personal convictions, which we mentioned later, I made a firm promise on my first evening in the camp that I would not run to the wire. This was a phrase used in camp to describe the most popular method of suicide, touching the electrical, electrically charged barbed wire fence. It was not entirely difficult for me to make this decision. There was little point in committing suicide since, for the average inmate, life expectation, calculating objectively and counting all likely chances, was very poor. He could not without any assur- he could not with any assurance expect to be among the small percentage of men who survived all the selections. The prisoner of Auschwitz in the first phase of shock, did not fear death. Even the gas chambers lost their horrors for him after the first few days. After all, they spared him the act of committing suicide. And Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist going into this situation. So that's the... That's the view, that's the perspective that he takes throughout this. And he's now been in for a couple days in Auschwitz and another guy comes in to talk to him who's another colleague of his. And we're going back to the book. A colleague of mine who had arrived in Auschwitz several weeks previously smuggled himself into our hut. He wanted to calm and comfort us and tell us a few things. He had become so thin that at first we did not recognize him. With a show of good humor and a devil-may-care attitude, he gave us a few hurried tips. Don't be afraid. Don't fear the selections. Dr. M, the SS medical chief, has a soft spot for doctors. But one thing I beg of you, he continued, 
shave daily if at all possible even if you have to use a piece of glass to do it even if you have to give your last piece of bread for it you will look younger and the scraping will make your cheeks look rootier if you want to stay alive there is only one way look fit for work if you even limp because let us say you have a small blister on your heel and an ss man spots this he will wave you aside and the next day you are sure to be gassed now his mind and his thoughts he describes what he would think about back to the book my mind still clung to the image of my wife a thought crossed my mind I didn't even know if she were still alive I knew only one thing which I have learned well by now love goes very far beyond the physical person of the beloved it finds its deepest meaning in his spiritual being in his inner self whether or not he is actually present whether or not he is still alive at all ceases somehow to be of importance I did not know whether my life wife was alive and had no means of finding out during all my prison life there was no outgoing or incoming mail but at that moment it ceased to matter there was no need for me to know nothing could touch the strength of my love my thoughts and the image of my beloved had I known then that my wife was dead I think that I still would have given myself undisturbed by that knowledge to the contemplation of her image and that my mental conversation with her would have been just as vivid and just as satisfying set me like a seal upon thy heart love is as strong as death and continuing on dr. Frankel talks about images from inside the camp standing outside we saw sinister clouds glowing in the west and the whole sky alive with clouds of ever-changing shapes and colors from steel blue to blood red the desolate gray mud huts provided a sharp contrast while the puddles on the muddy ground reflected the glowing sky then after a few minutes of moving silence one prisoner said to another how beautiful the world could be and beyond looking for beauty around them they were able to find humor and I've, I have people ask me about this from time to time about humor in combat situations and isn't it important and yes it absolutely is and you'd think in a concentration camp even humor would go away but not true back to the book to discover that there was any semblance of art in a concentration camp must be surprise enough for an outsider but he may be even more astonished to hear that one could find a sense of humor could find a sense of humor there as well of course only the faint trace of one and then only for a few seconds or minutes humor was another of the soul's weapons 
in the fight for self-preservation. It is well known that humor, more than anything else in the human makeup, can afford an aloofness and an ability to rise above any situation, if only for a few seconds. The attempt to develop a sense of humor and to see things in a humorous light is some kind of trick I learned while mastering the art of living. Yet it is impossible to practice the art of living even in a concentration camp, although suffering is omnipresent. To draw an analogy, a man's suffering is similar to the behavior of gas. If a certain quantity of gas is pumped into an empty chamber, it will fill the chamber completely and evenly no matter how big the chamber. Thus, suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind no matter whether the suffering is great or little. Therefore, the size of human suffering is absolutely relative. And I think the point that I took away from that was that chamber that can be filled up with suffering, fill it up with some humor as well. Otherwise, that that suffering will just fill the whole chamber. It will fill your whole brain. Back to the book. We were grateful for the smallest of mercies. We were glad when there was time to de-louse before going to bed. Although in itself this was no pleasure, pleasure, as it meant standing naked in an unheated hut where icicles hung from the ceiling. But we were thankful if there was no air raid alarm during this operation and the lights were not switched off. If we could not do the job properly, we were kept awake half the night. So you're at a point in life where you're grateful for being able to stand naked and pick the lice off of your friends before you go to bed so that the lice won't keep you awake at night by chewing at your body. And you know, I talked about how, or he talks about how, you know, it was the person that was gonna survive had to be ruthless, basically. And here he says, But it's not for me to pass judgment on those prisoners who put their own people above everyone else. Who can throw a stone at a man who favors his friends under circumstances when, sooner or later, it is a question of life or death? No man should judge unless he asks himself, in absolute honesty, whether in a similar situation he might not have done the same. And here he says, I mentioned earlier how everything that was not connected with the immediate task of keeping oneself and one closest friends alive lost its value. Everything was sacrificed to this end. A man's character became involved to the point that he was caught in mental turmoil, which threatened all values he held and threw them into doubt. Under the influence of a world which no longer recognized the value of human life and human dignity, which had robbed the man of his will and made him an object to be exterminated, having planned, however, to make full use of him first to the last ounce of his physical resources, under this influence, the personal ego finally suffered a loss of values. 
if the man in the concentration camp did not struggle against this in a last effort to save his self-respect, he lost the feeling of being an individual, a being with a mind, with inner freedom and personal value. He thought of himself then as only part of an enormous mass of people. His existence descended to the level of animal life. The men were herded, sometimes to one place, then to another, sometimes driven together, then apart like a flock of sheep without a thought or a will of their own. A small but dangerous pack watched them from all sides, well-versed in methods of torture and sadism. They drove the herd incessantly, backwards and forwards, with shouts, kicks, and blows. And we, the sheep, thought of two things only. How to evade the bad dogs, and how to get a little food. He's going to delve into this deeper, this idea of this inner freedom and how hard you had to fight to maintain that and how easy it was just to roll in and become one of the pack, one of the herd. Back to the book. It is very difficult for an outsider to grasp how very little value was placed on human life in camp. The camp inmate was hardened, but possibly became more conscious of this complete disregard of human existence when a convoy of sick men was arranged. The emaciated bodies of the sick were thrown on two-wheeled carts, which were drawn by prisoners for many miles, often through snowstorms, to the next camp. If one of the sick men had died before the cart left, he was thrown on anyways. The list had to be correct. The list was the only thing that mattered. A man counted only because he had a prison number. One literally became a number. Dead or alive, that was unimportant. The life of a number was completely irrelevant. What stood behind that number and that life mattered even less. The fate, the history, the name of the man. The camp inmate was frightened of making decisions and of taking any sort of initiative whatsoever. This was the result of a strong feeling that fate was one's master and that one must not try to influence it in any way, but instead let it take its own course. In addition, there was a great apathy, which contributed no small part to the feelings of the prisoner. At times, lighting, lightning decisions had to be made, decisions which spelled life or death. The prisoner would have preferred to let fate make the choice for him. And so some of the examples that he brings up in the book on that are they'd get told, we need people to go to a different camp for rest. 
and they had no idea. Sometimes it actually was some kind of rest. Sometimes it was some kind of actual medical facility. Sometimes it was just you're going to the gas chambers at another camp, and they had no idea which one it was. And so they got into this mode of they were just going to externally just whatever was going to happen that was going to happen. And they wouldn't. They go beyond where they're trying in the beginning to like hey, get me off that list or I want to be on that list and they realized that they just were, were messing with fate mm. and so they got into a mode of I'm just gonna let things happen and whatever happens happens and they got this this feeling of apathy you you can just imagine how that that having no control externally of what's happening how that leads number one leads to this apathy of just I don't care what happens but number two how that thing can then sneak in and start to get control of your inner thoughts and your inner feelings where you just feel like you don't have control over anything in life and that's it mm-hmm. and here he talks about apathy some more the prisoners apathy was also the result of other factors hunger and lack of sleep contributed to it as they do in normal life also and to the general irritability, which was another characteristic of the prisoner's mental state. The lack of sleep was partly due to the pestering of vermin which infested the terribly overcrowded huts because of the general lack of hygiene and sanitation. The fact that we had neither nicotine nor caffeine also contributed to the state of apathy and irritability. Besides these physical causes, there were mental ones in the form of certain complexes. The majority of prisoners suffered from a kind of inferiority complex. We all had once been or had fancied ourselves to be somebody. Now we were treated like complete non-entities. The consciousness of one's inner value is anchored in higher, more spiritual things. It cannot be shaken by camp life but how many free men, let alone prisoners, possess it? Without consciously thinking about it, the average prisoner felt himself utterly degraded. This became obvious when one observed the contrasts offered by the singular sociological structure of the camp. The more prominent prisoners, the capos, the cooks, the storekeepers, and the camp policemen did not, as a rule, feel degraded at all like the majority of prisoners, but on the contrary, they felt promoted. Some even developed miniature miniature delusions of grandeur. <sighs> Clearly, we can all take a lesson out of that one. And that is, you know, you get put into a promotion position or you've got authority over people, don't let that go to your head. Yeah, I guess that's a natural thing where they did this... The, experiment test in that university whatever and they're all just random students one played the prisoner one group played the guards and that happened yep you know like act it's just an an experiment it's not real life you know and it still happened yeah and it happened in real life which i think is even more insane it's even more insane yeah in a way huh but then again how can we sit here and judge when if you're in that situation and you need to survive and you need to do the best to get your, you to survive and your family survive and you have an opportunity, oh, are we going to say nope? Nope. I'm going to, instead of doing this where I maybe can do something good in the long run, mm-hmm. nope. 
I'm not going to go across my values. I'm going to die in three days, and that's it. Yeah. That's a hard decision to make. Yeah. I mean, it seems easy when you're sitting in the comfort of your home. Be like, ah, I wouldn't do that. Or, you know, you can say, and this is what I would have done or I wouldn't have done. But, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, 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 I talk to people about, again, it's, I'm not going to compare anything to what we're talking about here. But in the military, for instance, a lot of times I had to make decisions to, to, you know, I got to do something that maybe I didn't fully agree with, but I knew in the long run it was going to get me something that was going to be beneficial to my team or to my platoon or whatever. Yeah. So you make those little adjustments and you got to suck it up and you do something that you might not want to do, mm-hmm. but in the long run it's going to be beneficial. Yeah. Now, I mean, this, I, I don't even know if this is even a remotely uh, close comparison. But what I am saying is this. You take a human being and you say, look, you can either step up and act a different way and be abusive to these people or you're going to be dead in three days. That's it. Those are your choices. Yeah. and It's not that hard to figure out that a lot of people are going to step up and say, cool, I'll abuse those people because I need to live. Need to live. Yeah. My choice is either death. Yeah. And by the way, maybe the, maybe this, the best person in that group is going to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to step up. And when I abuse these people, I'm going to do a little bit less than someone else might. Right. And right. therefore, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. I mean, these are decisions. Uh, how do you even think about these decisions? Yeah, I know, man. <sighs> and you have to think about them. You have to understand them. You have to understand what human nature is, that there is a survival point for humans. You have a, an instinct, instinct to survive that very few people can overcome. Yeah. And I don't even, you know, again, how do you judge whether it's right to overcome it or not? Yeah. When is it right? I mean, obviously, when is it right? We're sitting here. It's easy to say, hey, don't, you know, these guys, why would you kill yourself? Well, if you don't do these things, you're basically killing yourself. Yeah. If you don't step up, if you don't say, okay, I'll work as a capo, if you don't do that, you're killing yourself. Right. Does that make it okay? Man. Yes. It's brutal. It's like you got to figure out whether or not you're better off dead in the even in the grand scheme of things, like these these people that they're going to kind of um, succumb to these positions or do all these low things to survive so they can survive and, you know, live on and all this stuff. So it's either that or am I better off dead overall? You know, like that's the decision you got to make. Dang. Who knows what you think, especially with all these conditions. Yeah. You know, the opposite of that is it was uh, Dick Winters was talking about how he had, and I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast but in in the book conversations with dick winters he he goes through a big section where he talks about some of the guys in his company and he called them the killers and he actually went on and said hey you know i don't want to call them killers because that's going to give the wrong impression but these guys were my most aggressive guys they were my best guys Hmm. and he's and he said they didn't make it past you know, he said most of them didn't make it. I forget which which battle, mm. but he said most of them didn't make it past this certain time because they were so aggressive. They were such good guys. They were so brave that they didn't make it. And and this is sort of the opposite where you yeah. have the people that are brave. Or I guess, no, it's the same in that people that are brave and going to hold to their values, they're going to die. Right. And And if you think about somebody that's cowardly in combat, that says, oh, you know what, you know, Echo, you go first. I'm going to sit over here behind this, you know, uh, uh, covered position. Yeah, I'm going to live longer. And it's a micro, 
example of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's just this given the book and, and what we're talking about, this might come off as borderline insulting, if not full fledged insulting. But you ever watch this show, Survivor? I I, I watched what, the first one when it was kind of a thing. Yeah, and there was a interesting psychology happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and that psychology. And plus, Rudy Bosch was on it. You know, this uh, seal retired seal master chief okay. who, who you know everyone kind of knew in the seal teams. Okay, yeah. So, and especially but what now, you're going to say is that the the people that are not good human beings are the ones that win. A lot right? of well, they get far. Put it that way, because they have this weird mechanism at the end where the last you know few people who get voted off they become this sort of a jury. Oh. So it's like if you went through the whole game screwing people over, the jury's oh. going to get you kind of thing. So it's a yeah, and this is just how the show just sorted itself out over time. But the first ones didn't have any jury, right? I don't, I don't know. I, no, I don't they really didn't. watch fact, it that much. I, I'm going to go ahead and say I, I'm almost positive they didn't because okay. Rudy had his hand on some log and they had to keep it there for like X for the yeah, longest time. Just, yeah, and one change. person. You know, he actually he like thought of something else and took his hand off, and then he was out. That was it, done. Okay. But yeah, there's absolute comparison there. There's an absolute comparison to, you know, if you're willing to be a snake, right? You can, and you can, you can win the game. And I've talked about that too in promotion. People getting promoted, yeah. and if you're willing to be a snake, you can get promoted. Yeah. But the thing that I will say in a work environment is that that snake might get one promotion. Yeah. They might get two promotions. Yeah. They're not going to go the distance. And if you hold the line on doing what's correct, then you might miss that first promotion. You might even miss that second promotion. But eventually, if you're on the right path, you will get the recognition and you will win in the long run. Yeah. You've got to be patient, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously... In your job, it's not life or death. You know, death isn't so close that, you know, one slip up, you're death. You're right. dead. You know, so that's, uh, you know, obviously the dynamics are different in work in that way. But otherwise, I think so. And Survivor, there's also that other thing that kind of what they talk about where or what you're just talking about is if you it's kind of in a matter of speaking, playing it safe where you're just hiding under the wings. Right. You might attach right. yourself to someone or you'll avoid any kind of you know, uh, risky for sure. situation, for you know, sure. and, and so in survivor, you can make it far like that as well. Yep, I mean, nowadays everyone knows about those things like, Oh, you backstabbed everyone or you just yeah. hid behind this guy. Cause he's strong. But at the same time, just like how, how you're saying, if you're brave or you're going to stick to your morals and be honest with everyone, like you'll get voted off real quick. Even if you're really good at, yeah. you know, the challenges but, or something, but even, like, oh, we're don't even like off. really good leaders get voted. Like if someone just is a dynamic yeah. leader, they yep. get voted off. Exactly. Almost immediately, right. right. They're like, yeah. Oh yeah. See you later. Too much of a threat. Too much of a threat to everybody exactly else. Right. Same thing. And actually what you're talking about going through seal training, I would, hear it and it wasn't I didn't hear it when I went through but I heard it later this idea of the gray man and I think we might have actually answered a question on the podcast about that yeah. was going through training and just being a gray man meaning just don't stand out right, right not on one exactly. way or the other yeah. and you'll be good to go yeah. and that's that's uh that's a that's a strategy. Why right? in the SEAL teams is that? A no, strategy? it's a strategy going through buds through, oh, yeah. through SEAL right. training, the initial SEAL training course. Mm-hmm. Because the minute you stand out, people start knowing who you are, and now you got instructors looking at you. And the more they watch you, the more they can see. 
that yeah. maybe you're making some mistakes or yeah. maybe you're not doing everything right or maybe you're not and so it's better just to be that guy in the middle yeah. I was the guy in the middle not because I <laughs> no, wanted to be no but because I was not you know the fastest runner I wasn't the the best swimmer what you don't want to be is the guy on the tail end right yeah and it's weird because I put so many guys not through the basic seal training but through the advanced seal training mm. And the guys that I remember, there's two types of guys that I remember. The guys that were awesome and the guys that were horrible. Huh. And the guys in the middle, all the gray guys, I know them when I see them. Right. But a lot of times I don't 100%. Like I, I might not know their name. Whereas some of the pipe hitters, the young pipe hitters, some E5 pipe hitter that was just getting after it. Mm-hmm. I'd always remember those guys' names because they would take control of everything. And yeah. they'd stand out. And then the other guys you remember are the guys that are totally jacked up. So... That idea of being a gray man, it seems like a good policy to have in the concentration camp. Look, I just don't want to stand out. I don't want to yeah. have a limp. I don't want to you know, come across as I just want to fit in and yeah. be the gray man. Unless you're going to go the distance, right? Which is, and, and that's a horrible way of saying, I'm going to stand out by saying, hey, I can whip these prisoners into shape, right? right. That's going and raising your hand and saying, I'll be a capo. Right. I, I'm going to step up. And what you're risking there is we don't know where this war is going to end and where you're going to be at the end of this thing. Yeah. And, you know, I read some stories about that. The war did end Hmm. and they did liberate these camps Mm -hmm. and it didn't work out good for the capos. Yeah. So there's there's the same thing. You might have done all right getting your promotion the first couple times, but eventually it, it comes around. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, you know Harley Flanagan was talking about karma and yeah. I don't know how much reality there is to that but there's yeah. there's the reality of You reap what you sow. Yeah, and if you treat people If you t- if you take advantage of your position if you maneuver and screw people over to get ahead of them They'll remember that. Yeah, they'll remember that. Yeah, and that makes sense I mean karma with you and it's never worth it by the way it's almost either, yeah. never worth it. Yeah. I mean, could you possibly come up with some scenario where, where you know, I did this to get a promotion so that I could take care of yeah. you and everyone else? Uh, you could come up with a yeah. list, but it's very, Exception. very yeah. rare. And and my gut feeling was always like, it's not worth it. It's yeah. not worth it to do those little maneuvers and and tr- try and better your position on other people's backs. Yeah, or screwing someone over, and because you got to live with that too. I mean, unless you're like yeah. a sociopath or something like that, you have to live with that. And man, yeah, and even at the time, it seems like oh, I could live with that because ooh, look you at know my what? promotion. You're actually you're actually taking a higher road than me because you're saying you personally have to live with it, and that's yeah. definitely. I'm saying beyond that, even if you're a person that can live with it, you're still gonna pay in the long run. Even if you yeah. can look yourself in the mirror and be like, I don't care, I got promoted, it's good. <laughs> That's yeah. that's okay. So you can live with that. That's cool. But mm-hmm. guess what? There's something else you're gonna that's gonna come back yeah. around, and that yep. is one of those other people that you stepped on yep. their back is gonna invent something new at work, and yep. he's gonna take over the division, and you're gonna pay. Not to mention the ten people who watched it happen. Yeah, and you know, yeah, you're just making yeah. enemies. Yeah, enemies, and, and that's really what karma is for. It's, I mean, karma could be this mystical thing that right. personally watches you and has this judgment system, but and it could I'm gonna just be real. Just real life. Just yeah. like if I walk up to, uh, you know, even me and you are even. We don't know each other. I don't have any bad or good feelings towards you. And I come and I slap you. Mm. I created a deficit now. Now big, your intention. Deficit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> big deficit. Yeah. So your intention, whether you do it or not, you're what you you're compelled to slap me back, if not more. Mm-hmm. Usually more. Yeah. Because you know. A lot more. So that's kind of really what it is. I mean, really, in a small, teeny, tiny nutshell. 
Yeah. You know, I go out and start acting mad to everyone. What They're not going to be like, oh, I love you. I mean, they might because they might yeah. be, you know, intellectual or, or, you know, they might be able to think about it, but their natural compulsion will be to be mad at you back. And, and this, you know, the podcast, Human Nature, talking about human nature, and I always say that war reveals human nature more clearly than anything else because yeah. it's so much pressure on the people. Obviously, a concentration camp, it's revealing human nature, and that's exactly what we're talking oh, about. And it reveals itself in crystal clarity on a massive scale in terms of being able to see it in a concentration camp, and you see it reveal itself on a TV show called Survivor, and yeah. you see it reveal itself in in the work environment. And what I'm saying is, from all that, what you want to do is you want to make sure that when you get put into a position of authority, you don't abuse it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, You don't want to abuse it. You want to treat people with respect no matter what. And you don't want to step on people's backs to get ahead because ultimately it's not going to pay off. Yeah. It really isn't. Yeah. You're only going to fool. Like that leader that you that you fooled into thinking that you were a great guy, yeah. that's only going to last for so long. Yeah. And eventually you're going to get found out. Yeah. Now, all right, let's get let's get back into the book here. The experiences of camp life show that man does have a choice of action. And this is, we've talked about the capitalists, and he's going to talk about some of the more heroic people and, and some of the, those actions very briefly. And he says, because the reason there's very briefly is because there wasn't a lot of them. Yeah. The experiences of camp life show that man does have a choice of action. There were enough examples, often of a heroic nature, which proved that apathy could be overcome Irritability, irritability suppressed. Man can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom, of independence of mind, even in such terrible conditions of psychic and physical stress. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And and there it is. I mean, that is it. That is it. This idea, and you know, Captain Plum talked about it as well, and Captain Plum had a quote from Stockdale. And we got to explore this, and I've got a bunch of Stockdale books, and I, we will get to some Stockdale books. Who was the senior guy in the Hanoi Hilton, and he's you know a fighter pilot, philosopher, guy, brilliant guy, and a hero. Won the, the was awarded the Medal of Honor. And one of the things that 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 Captain Plum was talking to us about is is Captain Plum said that they got word from Stockdale. And I'm gonna misquote it, but I'm gonna do my best. It was, just because we're in a prison camp doesn't mean we have to be on defense. We're gonna be on offense. In a prison camp, that's just a completely different attitude. It's choosing the attitude. We're not gonna sit here and be abused and and be put down. We're gonna step up. 
we're gonna we're gonna go on offense and and they did they did hunger strikes they passed word around they wouldn't stand up when people entered they they did these things mm. they went on offense and that's what he's talking about right here this last human freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances we always have that choice no matter what the circumstances are that surround you you always have that choice hmm. back to the book and there are always choices to make every day every hour offered the opportunity to make a decision a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self your inner freedom which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of the typical inmate Again, there it is. You, you're in a concentration camp, doomed, doomed, and yet you can hang on to that last, that last bastion of freedom in your soul to not let them win and not let them own that. Back to the book, seen from this point of view, the mental reactions of the inmates of a concentration camp must seem more to us than the mere expression of certain physical and sociological conditions. Even though conditions such as lack of sleep, insufficient food, and various mental stresses may suggest that the inmates were bound to react in certain ways, in the final analysis, it becomes clear that the sort of person the prisoner became was the result of inner decision and not the result of camp influences alone. Think about that. The sort of person the prisoner became was the result of an inner decision. Not the result of the circumstances you're in. That doesn't matter what kind of person you become. Hmm. What matters is the decisions that you make. Unbelievable. Back to the book. Fundamentally, therefore, any man can, even under such circumstances, decide what shall become of him mentally and spiritually. Okay, physically, you can have that one. Can't control that all the the time. Mm. But mentally and spiritually, I get to decide what I'm going to be. He may retain his human dignity even in a concentration camp. Dostoevsky said once, there is only one thing that I dread, not to be worthy of my sufferings. These words frequently came to my mind after I became acquainted with those martyrs whose behavior in camp, whose suffering and death bore witness to the fact that the last inner freedom cannot be lost. It can be said that they were worthy of their sufferings. The way they bore their suffering was a genuine inner achievement. It is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful and purposeful.
the way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross, gives him ample opportunity, even under the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. It may remain brave, dignified, and unselfish, or in the bitter fight for self-preservation, he may forget his human dignity and become no more than an animal. Here lies the chance for a man either to make use of or to forego the opportunities of attaining the moral values that a difficult situation may afford him. And this decides whether he is worthy of his sufferings or not. So think about that. When you get faced with this ultimate challenge brutal challenge when life is just about to crush you that's when you have the biggest opportunity to prove who you are you know speaking of 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 unworthy topics but this is something i when i was when i first got to see when i was at seal team one i ran a communications class and when I ran the class, we I was like super hard, and sure. <laughs> I know it comes as a big shocker. Yeah, yeah. But we would great test, test, test on all these different subjects. You know, what radio, what frequency bandwidth, what how, you know, all these different subjects. Mm-hmm. And I would say, say to the guys, hey, you know, tomorrow we got another test, another opportunity for you to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I looked at it. Mm-hmm. They didn't always look at it the same way, but. <laughs> That's exactly exactly what he's saying here. When you have these brutal circumstances that you face, that's your opportunity. And if you think about all heroic tales, right? There's no heroic tales where the hero doesn't face any challenges. And as a matter of fact, the worse challenges he faces, the more of a hero he becomes. Yeah. If he rises to the occasion. If he doesn't rise to the occasion, guess what? We don't hear about him. Right. Not a hero. Not a hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact... Let's say you're considered a hero and then this big chance to prove yourself comes about and you fail or you don't step up. You're kind of like this big failure in a way, Mm. even though you've been a hero the whole time. Yeah, I would say that's true. Although if you do something heroic enough, people are like good with it. Right. I think if they're significant enough, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is you face these challenges and you get challenged to to have this attitude mm-hmm. of you know b- basically good opportunity mm-hmm. opportunity right. to okay. solve the problems yeah right oh big challenge cool opportunity yeah good yeah it's like those guys who you know they start a business the business is like grows and then it just massively fails because of some mistake or I don't know something yeah. and some or the kind of I don't know whatever and then they. Well, they reach rock bottom and they build themselves back up and then, you know, it's this massive success, yeah. you know, everyone's that's, like, oh, that's, that's such an impressive story. story. Yeah. Right. You know, that's much better than, Hey, I went to this school. I graduated. I worked this job. I made a bunch of money. Yeah. Everyone goes, oh, cool. <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good exactly. for you. Yeah. They want to hear the struggle. They want to see that you were yeah. challenged. Yep. Back to the book. Everywhere man is confronted with fate with the chance of achieving of achieving something through his own suffering god think about that the 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 suffering that you're going through is an 
a chance to achieve something through your suffering. That's an incredible thought. Yeah. That's an incredible thought. Now, this next part is something that I get asked about on a fairly regular basis. Back to the book. Take the fate of the sick, especially those who are incurable. I once read a letter written by a young invalid in which he told a friend that he had just found out he would not live for long, that even an operation would be of no help. He wrote further that he remembered a film he had seen in which a man was portrayed who waited for death in a courageous and dignified way. The boy had a thought it the boy had thought it a great accomplishment to meet death so well. Now he wrote, fate was offering him a similar chance. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, diseases, terminal diseases, Mm -hmm. and that's it. And then what do you do? Well, I think you have to choose the best possible attitude you can. Mm -hmm. And again, I've never been in that situation, obviously, but that statement seems to be the best possible attitude to take. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, that's that's when we see people doing something heroic. That's what we see. And you know, it's funny. Some of those uh, when we were doing a lot of the Native Americans on the podcast, they all had that attitude. When you go to face death, hold your head high. Mm. Be afraid of it. And that's really e- like you t- said. It easier sitting here in the you know in the <laughs> recording studio. Of course, yeah. Easy for me to sit here and say that. Yeah. But that's a hard one. And you know, um, the other day on the Joe Rogan podcast, Everlast was on there. Yeah. And Joe Rogan, he, you know, Everlast was saying, hey, you know, I'm not in good shape right now. I wish I could get in better shape, but I have, you know, a back, I think he's got a back injury mm-hmm. and he's got this and he's got a daughter that's got some kind of illness, mm-hmm. bad illness. And Joe put on the good video that you made. Mm-hmm. And you know, Everlast, when he got done, Everlast was like, hey, that's cool, that's inspirational, but how does that help me with my sick daughter? Yeah. What's good about that, you know? And I wished I could have jumped through and, and, and talked to him mm-hmm. because this much I will say, when you got a bad situation like that, I'm telling you right now, it could be worse, mm-hmm. absolutely 100%. And the fact that he's talking about his daughter and how she's sick and how he has to spend so much time with her to take care of her, well, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Be thankful that you're in a position in life where you can spend time with her. Be thankful that she's in a condition where she can spend time with you. Yeah. And, it, you know, there's she's still here. If nothing else, that's good. Mm-hmm. If nothing else. And so what are you going to do? I mean, your, your, your other option is is to say, my daughter's sick, this is horrible, I got cursed, it's, it's not fair. Right. And what does that do for you? Where does that get you? It doesn't get you anywhere. As a matter of fact, it takes you backwards. Yeah. So you really, truly do have to look at these horrible situations. I remember, I got a call back from, from uh, overseas that a guy was, a SEAL, was really badly wounded. And and a couple of my friends were kind of distraught. And I talked to one of the guys overseas. And 
I you know and and man I at this point you know lost Mark lost Mikey I don't think Ryan had died yet but like I was familiar with guys dying yeah and I talked to one of the guys that was overseas and they said hey you know this guy's really really messed up and I'm like is he gonna live and they're like yeah he's stable and I go then don't worry about a thing be happy He's alive, and it doesn't matter if he's missing a leg or two legs or whatever. He's going to be coming home, and he's going to carry on with his life. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be hell, and it's going to be a challenge. But guess what? He's going to be here. Yeah. And that, you know, again, it's like, man, what's the alternative? The alternative is he's dead. The alternative is we never talk to him again. That's the alternative. Yeah. Versus He's gonna come back right and this guy the guy that got wounded. He wasn't like a great friend of mine But I knew I was talking to people that were very close to him and so you know I, I, I had to make sure I wasn't coming across like hey, it's no big deal. I you know look he's gonna be fine No, it wasn't like that, but look look what the alternative is, you know, let's be thankful that he's alive Yeah, and he's gonna come home and we're, you know, he's gonna carry on with his life Yeah, and that's what that's what's important. So it's really when you do look at these situations when things are going bad and then you say okay well what good could come of that and then the, the one step further is then what happens when someone does die yeah. then what good comes of that and and my thought is always the same thing i'm thankful that i got to know that person i'm thankful that i got to understand their personality i'm thankful that i got to spend a day with them laughing and having that memory yeah. That's what's good. What's good is I got to experience them in my life and they got to experience other people's in their lives. And that's what's good about it. But just to say, hey, you know, my friend, my family member is dead. This is horrible and I can't escape from this. Wrong attitude. Yeah. And of course, you're going to go through that. It's the, there's the, whatever those things are that you go through. It's shock and then denial and then, Anger and then acceptance and, and all that that's I get it and, and it's not going to be easy But I'll tell you what will make it easier is to look at the situation and say what here is good You know and you the, one of the worst things is Parents that have young children that are terminally ill. It's awful. It's awful and the best you can think of is say hold them while you can yeah, right and and get what you can and grow the memories that you can right now because just to focus on the fact that life isn't fair isn't going to help you and yeah. guess what you're right life isn't fair yeah life isn't fair it's 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 a random horrible thing and if you want to focus on the randomness and the horribleness of it that's where you're going to end up yeah but if you can focus on the good that comes out of those situations try to yeah. And again, I haven't been through that. I haven't been through that, thank God. Yeah, not that level for sure. But the best I can do, the best I can assess is say, man, at least try and look at what positive is coming out of this and 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 focus on that instead of focusing on what is negative. Choo. It's going back to what Frankel said. You choose what your attitude is going to be. Yeah. Don't become a victim of the randomness. Yeah, and that's so... And- that goes on on like all levels you know how even if like something isn't horrible it's just kind of junk you know all the way down to just something that's that's pretty horrible 
there's still a lot of good going on in the situation. But and just like how you're saying, like your attitude or another way to put it is what you're looking for to, to internalize, you know, a lot of times and it's natural. And I've been there where it's like everything just seems bad. Even the smell, like if something real bad happens that you think is real bad, and then the same day or the next day or whatever, something small bad happens, it'll just add big time to the badness. Like nothing's going right, kind of sure. kind of attitude. Meanwhile, all the good things are going on all around you, but we, you're not we looking for about that. All those things, yeah. So, and a lot of times with like real bad situations, especially especially with kids, because that's like the the most weak you can ever feel. Really, when yeah. like your kid, like when my daughter had she had a big staff infection. Yeah. So in her lymph node so her neck was big she was in the hospital for a week and we're there that's like the most weekend that that you'll feel in of course there's way worse situations yeah the, you know than that that's nothing compared to situations i know that but there are good things that a are still going on in your situation in your life let's say b there's good situations that can come of it and a lot of them, a lot of them is just are strength related. You know, like if you let something beat you down mm-hmm. and you don't get the strength, like that's a loss. You'll lose. Like you'll. Uh, uh, so you're saying you're getting some kind of conditioning from it? In a way, in a matter of speaking, yes. So like if you have a quote unquote good attitude, when you emerge from the situation, you will have strength now. If you don't, you won't. You'll have weakness. You'll be, you know gun shy everything happens bad my life sucks and you know you'll continue down kind of that road so the good part like if you said like how you said if you keep that good attitude mm-hmm. and when you make it out you will have this among the other good things that can come from it you will have the strength yeah you know? you're, you're right and i mean just look at captain plum and look at colonel reader and yeah. for those guys to go through what they went through and and maintain a positive attitude and then they come out and you talk to those guys and it's like I don't you can't think of more positive people yeah in the world yeah you know I mean not in the whole world but you right. they just have so much positivity because they've been through something and they had to maintain that attitude so you're right when they come out it's like how are yeah. you gonna make and I think that's what happens a lot of times with guys that have been to war is they come back and they're like happy to see the sunrise I know yeah. I am right I'm happy to see the sunrise I'm I'm happier than a lot of people to see the sunrise. I appreciate that thing. Yeah. And I think when people go through some kind of devastating disease in their family or themselves, same thing. Once they get through it, right. they at least come out the other side and they can appreciate it. Yeah. And yet if they let it beat them down, it's gonna it's gonna everything is gonna look down. If yeah. you're looking down, you're gonna look down. If you're looking up, you're gonna look up. Yeah. And that's gotta be a it's hard. I mean, it's so hard for people. It's right. so hard. Yeah, and again, I'm over here talking, you know. Yeah, for sure, both of us are. You know, when I was on Joe Rogan, we started off talking about uh, uh, Chris Cornell had just killed himself, and we kind of cursory kind of talked about depression, and neither one of, I mean, I definitely am not claiming claiming to be any kind of expert at all about it. And I even said on there, I was like, look, I've never felt this way. And I had a couple of people hit me up on social media like, you know, you should you should read this or you should do this or and and you know, or you're not right. And I'm like, no, I wasn't even trying to say anything that I'm right. I'm just telling I was saying I don't actually even know. Yeah. And and so yeah, I I'm not, you know, certainly an expert on how to overcome, you know, horrible situations. But I've been in some pretty horrible situations and this is what my thoughts tried to be. Yeah, and it's not always easy, yeah. at all. Yeah, Jordan Peterson has some good, good, um, 
you know, good content on that, where he's basically in a nutshell, he says, get yourself together, where in his example, one of the many was, you know, a family member dies or whatever. Get yourself together. So, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to wallow with the rest of the people yeah. so no one can get a hold of anything and the funeral's a mess or whatever? Or are you going to get yourself together? Grieve, for sure, get, mm-hmm. but get yourself together so you can kind of lead and get the funeral together and take care of the business or yeah. whatever. You and know? it's such a cold-blooded thing to say, right? Yeah. It's the complete, and that's what I think is hard about it is – you know, think about this. Oh, if someone in your family died, and I was like, "Echo, get yourself together." Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I, who says that? Yeah. Right. But that's probably the best thing I could possibly say to you. Yeah. Now, I might need to say it in a more tactful way. Right. I might just say, "Hey, Echo, man, I feel for you." Hey, man, what we need to do is grieve, but we also need to focus on moving forward. You know what I mean? It's yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. But the reality is, what am I really saying? I'm really saying, "Hey, get yourself together." You yeah. got to move on. We got to move on. We got to move forward. You got to move forward in your life. And that's a, like such a hard thing to say to somebody. Yeah. But that's probably the right attitude to take is yeah. okay. Like this is horrible and I need to keep it together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Especially when there's no majorly prevalent things that are at risk at that moment as well. Like, you know, like. Your situation, like in a combat situation, I think uh, BTF Tony was talking about this. When if like you're in a firefight or something like that, and someone gets hit, you don't just quit. No, exit the firefight and be like, no. "Oh my gosh, my guy's hit." Use it. It's like, okay, he's hit. Boom, let's continue the yep. firefight. But let's say there was no firefight, then the guy gets, gets hit. It's it seems like yeah. a harder thing to to just move so, on. And, and so what you kind of need is you need to like uh, you need to have a firefight going on. So that you can say, okay, I'm going to deal with this, but I need to also think about the yeah. rest of life. Yeah. Right? So hard. And, and, you know, again, it's, it's, I, you know what I'm feeling like right now? I, I got, I get some social media sometimes where someone will say, hey, I'm not a vet, but like a friend of mine is going through problems and I don't know how to talk to him because I'm not yeah. a vet. And that's kind of like what I feel like right now. Like I right. haven't been through those yep. kind of suffering. So I'm throwing darts. But I'm throwing them based on what I know, so it's the best I can, you know. Yeah. Best I could do right yeah. now. You, like, you're at risk of someone saying, "Hey, you, you simply don't understand." Right. And, and my, the fact is, they're right. Yeah. And my, my, my statement to that would be, "Yes, I don't understand." Yeah. You know, it's like in the, in when I was talking to the veterans, saying, "Look, people, you feel like people don't understand." They don't, they don't. Yeah. and that's okay. So and true. so, definitely not sitting here saying, "Oh, uh, you know, I know this is what you do in a situation like right. that." No, Easy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you do when your family member suffers something egregious like that, like a terminal disease or death. I don't know. Haven't been through it. What I have been through is losing guys in combat. That I have been through. This is this is darkness. It's a different kind of darkness, but. This is what I did yeah. in those situations. And that's what I th- would think would help you in these other situations. Yeah. Hard. It's just a question, right? What do you what do you do? Hard. And we are we are sitting here reading a book by a guy that was in a concentration camp and he's saying this thing to do. You know, so that's that's another sort of reinforcement of this thought pattern yeah all right 
he talks a little bit about the passage of time here in camp a small unit of time a day for example filled with hourly tortures and fatigue appeared endless a larger time unit perhaps a week seemed to pass very quickly my comrades agreed when I said that in a camp a day lasted longer than a week how paradoxical was our time experience and that's something this actually reminded me I was talking to uh, Sarah Armstrong mm-hmm. and she and when well, no, I was actually around the conversation when Leif was talking about he'd come out here and seen all my kids my kids are all grown up now yeah. basically mm-hmm. except for my littlest one but you know my oldest daughter's graduating high school in a couple of weeks and she's gonna go to college Adult. and you know when Leif met her she was what was that 12 years ago so she was you know five no five six six something like that so you know younger and, than you and when he came out here you know he had just come left his apartment in New York City where he's got his wife and kids and they're and you know it's chaos and the little kids and they're crying and screaming and spilling stuff and throwing up milk and pissing everywhere and it's yeah. just you know it's that's what life is when you're yeah. a parent mm-hmm. and you know he came out here and saw how my kids were now grown up and those mm. that time is gone yeah. by the way gone yep. can't get it back and and he you know he talked about it on the podcast just hey man make sure you appreciate those and Sarah Armstrong you know, said something along the lines of uh, the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah, and yeah. That's a very yeah. true statement. And you can you can see that here it's the same thing. You know, all of a sudden this time is just going by so quickly. This is starting to talk again back to the attitude. We could say that most men in a concentration camp believe that the, uh, the real opportunities of life had passed. Yet, in reality, there was an opportunity and a challenge. One could make a victory of those experiences, turning life into an inner triumph, or one could ignore the challenges and simply vegetate, as did a majority of the prisoners. Same same thing, same topic. I know what's interesting, and I told you this before we started, this book, you know, is a great book, but I... I kind of wanted to talk about how bad concentration camps were and I went and found some other sources for that because Victor Frankl doesn't highlight it that much. I mean his ad I mean he was in Auschwitz for crying out loud. Mm. It doesn't get any worse. Mm-hmm. And you know to really give the impact of how bad it was, I went and found some other sources that were a little bit a little bit more directly written and a little bit more horrifying to be lack of a better word Mm. because in his accounts he doesn't go into those some of those graphic details which I feel like you should know and you should understand what before you talk about hey he's keeping a good attitude but no no it's not he's keeping a good attitude because he was in a concentration camp but it wasn't that bad no it was freaking hell and that's what he's dealing with and in his mind you could make a triumph or a victory out of those experiences which is incredible attitude to have. Yeah. Going back to the book, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. Usually this happened quite suddenly in the form of a crisis. 
the symptoms of which were familiar to the experienced camp inmate. We all feared this moment, not for ourselves, which would have been pointless, but for our friends. Usually it began with the prisoner refusing one morning to get dressed and wash or to go out on the parade grounds. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect. He just lay there, hardly moving. If this crisis was brought about by an illness, he refused to be taken to the sick bay or to do anything to help himself. He simply gave up. There he remained, lying in his own excreta, and nothing bothered him anymore. And that's similar to what Colonel Reeder said, how if you didn't actively stay alive, you would die. You, you couldn't just passively exist. You weren't going to make it. If you wanted to die, all you had to do was stop trying, yeah. and you were going to die. Back to the book. As we said before, any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in the camp had to first succeed in showing him some future goal. In Nietzsche's words, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. That could be the guiding motto for all psychotherapeutic and psychohygienic efforts regarding prisoners. Whenever there was an opportunity for it, one had to give them a why, an aim for their lives, in order to strengthen them to bear the terrible how of their existence. Woe to him who saw no more sense in his life, no aim, no purpose, and therefore no point to carrying on. He was soon lost. Got to know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's all there is to it. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And obviously that translates right into a leadership perspective, making sure people understand why they're doing what they're doing. You just don't bark orders at them. But from an individual perspective, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Find that. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I actually made a, uh, uh, a post on social media the other day, and it was something along the lines of finding your inner why or something like that. Sure. And I was, I was uh, you know, Mocking that attitude right and I was saying, you know, sometimes my inner voice is trying to find out why I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm like my when when I'm doing something hard my inner voice doesn't allow to talk be quiet. (laughs) I'm over here working You know Um, But there is Obviously just like a leadership perspective and from a personal perspective Why are you doing what you're doing and that should be the driving force? Yeah, and if you don't have that it's hard to overcome these challenges you yeah. can't just overcome challenges just because, you know, they're there. Yeah. You need some greater reason. Yeah. And when that gets lost, you get lost. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was funny. I think the when why you were mocking that this is my why and my inner yeah, voice. It was it wasn't it wasn't now that I think about it, it wasn't really the why thing. Right. It was more about the inner the inner voice. Oh the inner voice. But yeah, yeah no, I definitely said why in there too. Because people I think people use like it's like a lot of good expressions or sayings or whatever, yeah. or people just oh I like that and they'll just start throwing it out yeah. and abusing it and it dumbs it down and then now everyone's saying it now it just sort of sounds <laughs> cheesy because no one's actually doing it no yeah. one's actually understanding like the real what what it really means you know like the person who's like 
hey, I'm going to lose weight. And, you know, they've basically spent their life neglecting their health or whatever. Then they're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get in shape. And then they go on this, you know, program. They quit, you know, but when they're doing good on the program, let's say the first or second day, they'll be like, this is my why. And they'll show their, I don't know, their their dog or something Mm -hmm. like that. My why or my kids or whatever, you know. But then the next day they quit the program. Like, it's such a weak thing. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just do that. You know, like that, that whole thing, my why yeah. or whatever, that's way too powerful for people to just be like, hey, yeah, my yeah, why, and then just not yeah, do yeah. it. It shouldn't you know? be just like a little thing. Yeah, you can't but, just throw a, together a 38-second uh, Instagram post <laughs> that's yeah. about your why. Yeah. That you need to dig. Yeah, you got to do that stuff. So that's why it's funny because, like, just – People just throw that out now. Now it means like nothing. And it's it's almost like they see it seems like it seems like it's totally my interpretation of it. But it seems like they're saying it and thinking that they sound so profound and <laughs> deep and new and inspirational, you know, but and, everyone's and, saying it. And to to counter your point, I've had plenty of people that have talked to me about, you know, I was in bad shape. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't healthy. And I had my first kid and I said to myself, I need to, I need to be there for my kid or, or I was doing bad at work and I didn't really care and I wasn't focused on my career and I wasn't focused on being squared away and I was wasting all my money on dumb stuff and I had my first kid. Yeah. And then I said, I got to, you know, this, this is me taking care of my kid and I need to do a damn good job. And that's exactly the point right there is that it's a real thing. And if that's for real, your your why conceptually now? I'm just saying the expression. You know, for like sure, when for sure. Do, but there's a big difference between cheesy. well, there's a big difference between the contemplation that goes into I'm doing this for my kids. Cool. Yeah. I'm gonna go on Weight Watchers. Right. <laughs> it's like, um, no. Uh, like, think about this. Think yeah. about your relationship with your children and where you're gonna end up and how you yeah. want to see them live and what guidance you can give them as human beings and the example that you're setting <laughs> for them. And you line all those things up. Then maybe you can put down the donuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. In other words, you gotta do it. Yeah, actually, you know. So, yeah, that's why it just sounds cheesy because yeah. everyone does it or says it. This is a great section. Going back to the book, we had to learn ourselves, and furthermore, we had to teach the despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead to think of ourselves as those who were being questioned by life daily and hourly. One answer must consist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. Again, you're turning, you're flipping this idea around. It's not about what I want from life. It's what, what does life want from me? And it's putting these challenges and these hurdles in front of me and I got to go and jump over them. And then I got to smash them. And then I got to set fire to them. And then I got to use that fire to fuel the domination of everything that's in my path. <laughs> Is that kind of like, hey, these weights aren't going to lift themselves? It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. And again, going back to this idea that war reveals human nature, and, and this is 
Dr. Frankel's way of putting this exact same thing that I say. Back to the book, life in a concentration camp tore open the human soul and exposed its depths. It is, is it surprising that in those depths we again found only human qualities which in their very nature were a mixture of good and evil. The rift dividing good from evil, which goes through all human beings, reaches into the lowest depths and becomes apparent even on the bottom of the abyss which is laid open by the concentration camp. So we've got this idea once again that there's a dichotomy in people. In people, this dichotomy that you're capable of doing extreme good and you're capable of doing extreme evil. And we've seen it a bunch. <laughs> we've seen it a bunch on this podcast. You look at the Milai Massacre. Those guys were normal guys that committed extreme evil, straight up evil. Mm-hmm. Normal guys that were, you know, four days earlier probably would have done something heroic to save someone. And here they are at the other end of the spectrum. And I think that you have to, we have to face that not only individually do you have that, but then obviously as the group you have that. As a group of human beings, we have that capability. We've seen it over and over again. And if you want to know what that good part is, you got to know what that darkness is too. Yeah. Yeah, the group thing is interesting like you know you know how you always hear not always but you hear sometimes about these riots on college campuses whether it be after a game or something like that bro at a glance you'd think dang is this college full of full of just hooligans like if this bit like huge riots you know but it's that it's like as an individual or you know under quote-unquote normal circumstances they just they're just normal people you know guys girls whatever they're just normal people but then you put them in this particular situation in some way extreme or whatever, you know, it's a spectrum. But And they just act different. And the, the whole group dynamic, too, yeah. they just act different. The group dynamic is a, uh, is a can be a very, very scary thing. Yeah, man. There's no doubt. It can be a very, very scary thing. And that's, that's why, you know, even when he's talking about, and I, I mentioned this on when I was on Joe Rogan's last podcast, I'm like, this, the idea of individual freedom and acting as an individual yeah. is so important as to, to structure your life around, to say, look, yeah. I'm not part of this group. This yeah. group is not me. Yeah, This group is not me. They don't represent me. I represent me. Exactly. And yeah. I'm, I have my own individual choices. And that's what he's saying in here. The minute you give away to the herd, yeah. that's when you start going, you, don't, you, you no longer control it. Yeah, and when you give up that control, that's a scary, scary thing, and that's when these evil things take place. Yeah, and that, it, that once again, that's it's it's like it's easy to say now because grouping yourself is actually a survival mechanism. True. So True. you you know it's not going to be just that you're not going to naturally just be an individual and act like an individual and conduct yourself in all these extreme situations as an individual. You're not just going to naturally true, do totally that. Totally true. So. 
I guess it just helps to, to know these things. Well, like it, you oh, that's you're you're a hundred percent right on both facets. Number one, yes, grouping and fitting in is a survival instinct that people have, and that's why trends happen, and that's why mm-hmm. nations happen, and that's mm-hmm. why that's why groups occur in people mm-hmm. and politics. Yeah, and in politics and in everything, right? To get into these groups, and I mean, it's weird now because with the internet, you can have groups. You can be part of these groups yeah. anonymously. Group, yeah, whatever yeah, group and you whatever want, group you and want, and you can yeah. connect with all these different people. Yeah. But it's also important to make sure that you you do remember that yeah. you are an individual that yeah. you can that you don't want to give up that last shred of human will yeah. to decide what your attitude is going to be. Yeah, dang. And and today, you know, in our luxurious society, if you can consciously navigate your way clear of that, of of falling into the group trap, it's what it is. It's a trap because you don't have if you can do that successfully, you won't fall for the tricks, man. Like, that's the thing you get. We all get tricked all the way down to just something as, as seemingly benign as marketing. Just man, you'll just fall for way less tricks. You don't like those tricks out there in the world, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> Probably fell for too many of them. I think this is a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wrap this book. This book is not long. It's a very fast read, and and actually, he goes into, um, sort of goes into the more of the psychological, the psychiatrist, the actual academic of it than I covered. Uh, but this is a fast read. I mean, it's only 150 pages or so. And you definitely get a raw look at, at human nature. But this closing, I think, is very, very powerful. Going back to the book, a human being is not one thing among others. Things determine each other, but man is ultimately self-determining. What he becomes within the limits of endowment and environment, he has made out of himself. In the concentration camps, for example, in this living laboratory and on this testing ground, we watched and witnessed some of our comrades behave like swine while others behaved like saints. Man has both potentialities within himself. Which one is actualized depends on decisions, but not on conditions. Our generation is realistic, for we have come to know man as he really is. After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Israel on his lips. And I think that thought that man has both potentialities within himself and we've seen them over and over again. These grand expanded potentialities in in extreme display. 
and we've talked about these situations in the podcast over and over again in the the Burma railway that was built by the prisoners of war and the prisoners of war were tortured and killed by the Japanese and the genocide in Rwanda and the rape of Nanking and we've also seen the other potentiality and we've seen that over and over again that that potentiality of goodness and of sacrifice those men that we've seen over and over again that lay down their lives for their brothers and in doing so protect our freedom but it's important to note that again that whether the good or the evil is actualized in the minds of men that is not based on conditions but on decisions and this doesn't only apply to good and evil of course that's the that's the most expansive thought that we can apply this to but it also applies to everything we choose to do or choose not to do and everything we choose to become or not to become it's us it's our choice and we are responsible we are responsible to be good instead of evil to be strong instead of weak to become what we want to become not what we let ourselves become we own the course And with every decision that we make, we actualize ourselves. We become what we choose. Swine or saints. So when you make decisions, every decision, think. Think about where that decision leads and what that decision will make you become. And then self-determine. Self-determine. Choose what will make you a better person. And even in situations where you feel you have no choice at all, you still have one last freedom, and that is to choose your own attitude in any given set of circumstances. Keep that choice. Keep that freedom, that hard choice the disciplined choice and with the discipline to make the right choice maintain your freedom
I've got for tonight. Powerful book. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how I can't help but think of this, like where how they talk about the, the SS officers, what are the Nazis? The guys there who are just savages, obviously. But are they really savages as people, though? Or is it a circumstantial thing? Yeah. I mean, I know they're trained to kind of regard this, you know, the Jews or these groups of people as, you know, beneath them and all this stuff. But, like, are they savages just as individuals? Because it takes a savage to do some of this stuff, you know, especially like grabbing a baby and smashing his, as the book said, skull against the wall. Like, like That's like subhuman behavior, you know. But well, when he goes home, you know, yeah. he has kids. You know, is he like, yeah, I don't care if the, these kids, ultimately, if their heads get, you know, I'm sure he's not like that. I'm sure he's just a normal person who'd just be just as weak as all of us if your kid stubs its toe and starts crying, you know? Yeah, well, we're going to explore. I got some books in the queue to explore the other side of this, and they're very revealing about some of that. But, again, it's it's, you're right that some of these guys, you know, were were normal right some of these Nazis were normal and they were doing their job and that's one of the worst you know there's a whole there's a whole uh, argument on whether that even is allowable like if if you're doing your job and and I'll tell you what in the US military you that doesn't that doesn't work that's an excuse that we don't have you can't say hey I got ordered to do this thing that was against the law Right. Or against ethical values doesn't matter. Right. I still can't do it. That's not right. an excuse and that came directly from this attitude that Nazi said hey I was just following orders. Right. You know hey it wasn't my fault. I was just following orders. No, actually you can't you can't say that You're not allowed to say that. Yeah, so as far as the normalcy Sure, they might have been normal normal when they went home, but that doesn't remove their guilt at all Yeah, fully and you can't take a baby and smash its head against the wall You don't get a pass on that one whether you no. ordered to do it or not No there's certain moral standards that exist and you can't violate them and if you do you're guilty it doesn't yeah. matter what else you did back then who who was kind of the, the 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 you know the authority on that like where the moral was it like a global thing you know or is it because obviously hitler was be would be like hey whatever well there's different societies that had different viewpoints obviously right. hence the nazis the war. Yeah, yeah yeah hence the war the yeah. nazis and the japanese both felt okay we can do what we need to do to dominate yeah and whether that's the rape and king or whether that's the concentration camps and the final solution both those things were in their societies now there was of course there was people inside those societies and i don't know i haven't i haven't I don't know of any Japanese. I'm sure there were some Japanese that, that were against. I mean, even when we read the rape of Nanking, there was a Nazi in Nanking, yeah. remember, that sheltered people. Yeah, yeah. So there's an example. Yeah. He, here's a guy. Now, he didn't know what was going on with the final solution back in Germany. Yeah. At least it doesn't appear that way. Right. But, yeah, this is what makes uh, morality and ethical decision-making so challenging. Yeah. But there is, in my opinion, you know, a certain standard moral code that human beings live by. Yeah. And that is a universal, relatively universal. Now there's yeah. now, well, I, should, I shouldn't even say it's universal. <laughs> right. There's the way that I believe right. that there's morals and standards that human beings should live by. Yeah. And when you start stepping outside those bounds, 
yeah. you're, you're going on the wrong side. Yeah, and like anything, man, it's like obviously a spectrum. And then what you're talking about, that universal line that you cross, it's like actually when you really look at the line, it's like a it's a universal gray area. Of, yeah. And then yeah. when you really look closer. But I think that the, the circumstances don't really fall within the confines of that gray area very often. So it's easy to be like, that's obviously right. That's obviously wrong. But yeah, then every uh, once in a while, these gray areas emerge. And then it's like this big debate. And it depends on who you are. Yeah. You know? I, I, I don't spend a lot of time in the gray areas, to be honest with you. Like in my yeah. thought pattern, I don't spend a lot of time in the gray areas. Right. But I, I spend time because to me, it is pretty obvious. Yeah. Like when you're ISIS and you're systematically raping yeah. 12-year-old girls and boys, yeah. you don't get to live. That, that doesn't work. Yeah. That's, not, that's not, not part of my deal over here. You, you, you die. And <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you take people and you put them in cages and you burn them to death, right. you don't get to do that. Just like these Nazis that are putting people in, con- you don't get to do that, no. Yeah. We go to war, we fight, and we win. Yeah. That's the way it works. Yeah. Now these gray areas that you're talking about, I don't mess around in those gray areas. Yeah, I, I, I think there's too much there's too there's turbulence in there. Right. And yeah. and a lot of times you look at it from the outside and you don't you, it's hard to tell what it is, what it actually is happening in there. Right. I'll and maybe that's not the best policy, but I won't escalate something personally until I see it go outside the lines of what I deem to be. OK. Yeah. You know, once you get outside those lines, you're done. Well, thankfully, you're you're, you know, a little bit smart in a way where, you know, whether you name these things or not, there's always a particular standard that you go by, you know? So just like the, like the difference between killing someone and when someone says murder, you know, murder is a, is clearly defined, you know? So if you murder someone, like killing someone is this broad thing. You killed them, accidentally killed them. You killed them yeah. after planning yeah, it. Yeah, there's a million you little them, things. Uh, the revenge and all that, you know, that's killing someone. But murder is defined, you know? So... Yeah. Well, somebody asked me uh, when I, I did Tim Ferriss's second time and someone asked me you know, something along the lines of, well, who defines these rules, which is basically what you just asked me. And I think it actually there is an answer to who defines these rules in warfare. It's the law of armed conflict. It's the right. Geneva Convention. We follow those laws. Right. They're, they're very clearly defined what you can and can't do. Boom. Right. That's it. Next question. Yeah. And, and I mean, unless you straight up disagree with the Geneva Convention, you know, and because of your personal moral code. But as long as you have, again... A standard that you're going by that'll reduce the gray areas by a lot and yes, still it will, they're gonna but, be there but it's yeah. easier to operate in black and white when you have standards and it won't always be easy but you know it's like well let, let me this this when we start getting in the gray area and you're sitting here saying that I'm all black and white and that's and I'm actually saying that like yeah. hey once you cross this line but guess what yeah. those lines can get blurry too yeah that's because what I, mean. I heard about um, a guy that was on a documentary who is he was he was a, a Western journalist of some kind and I got to watch this documentary I'm sure someone will tell us what it is but somebody else told me about it the Western journalist he's embedded with insurgents in Iraq mm-hmm. and he's filming and yeah. they're going out and attacking coalition forces Dang, yeah right and I guess he was while he's doing it, you know, he's trying to get his story and do his job, but then all of a sudden they're attacking coalition forces, right? Yeah. Now there's a gray area. Now let's say if you want to take that example to the extreme, if we're in a firefight and I see a guy with a camera who's wearing a press badge. Following an insurgent. Right. I mean, <laughs> it ain't going to work out good for him. 
because it's not like I'm going to say, okay, well, I, you know, he's clearly he's with insurgents. But right. what I'm saying is that's that's one example of many yeah. that that you could get into. Where also another thing that happened in Iraq a lot was people changed sides and they went from hmm. supporting the terrorists to supporting the coalition and then back again and then back again. So how do you how do you balance those? Yeah. And I'll tell you how I balance them was how can we achieve our mission? Yeah. And that sounds like like one of those hey mission focus, but it's true. Yeah. I look at okay this guy you know a year ago was being targeted by coalition forces. Yeah for being a bad guy. Now he has changed course. So what am I supposed to do, still prosecute him? Or is he gonna help us achieve our mission of overall victory? Mm. Guess what I'm gonna do? Mm. I'm gonna cut him some moral slack. Yeah. Because we're gonna win. So those are hard things to- But that's exactly what I mean though. See the standard? The standard in your case became the overall mission. Yes. So, you know, you have that saying. It's not like just some guy floating down the road through life being like, hey, I don't feel good about that right there. So I feel this way. So I'm going to do it. It's not that. It's like yeah. there's a standard, very concrete attached to it. Still, gray areas going to emerge. But like I said, it just reduces that gray area. Yeah. You have and, a standard and, and, to attach it to. The, the bottom line is this is why leadership is hard. Yes. The whole Imagine. idea of leadership, whether it's in combat, or whether it's in the business world, or whether it's part of a team, or whether it's part of a family, or whether it's in a concentration camp, mm. or whether it's in a prisoner of war camp. Leadership is hard. There's gray areas. Like when Captain Plum was saying, hey, he got told an order, you know, make communications with this guy at all costs. At all costs. That means I'm gonna get beaten and tortured and die b- yeah. by the guards to get this guy this piece of communication. Damn is he gonna man. follow that? Guess what? <laughs> no. <laughs> He had to make a judgment (laughs) and say, you know what? No, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. So this gray area, that went outside the bounds of the gray area. And he said, no, I'll do my best. I understand that it's critical, but I'm going to stay within me staying alive. Yeah. Right? Dang. So that is what makes leadership hard, is you have to constantly make these decisions where there's their gray area and you're doing your best you're assessing yeah. and that's that's again to me it was always I, I love that I love that about leadership I loved weighing those decisions out and I love discussing them with my guys up and down the chain of command and saying hey here's where we're at let me tell you exactly where we're at yeah you know I'll use Leif I'd be you know Leif here's what's going on this is the situation what do you think yeah. yeah well I think this okay that's a good point but did you think about that oh that's a good one yeah. you know what I mean we're gonna have those conversations and I had never had any problem opening my mind up to these various opinions that people had and I think as a leader that's a huge piece of building trust up and down the chain of command is when you have an open mind to discuss things with people and that also double gravitational pull echo Charles <laughs> helps you build the relationship yeah Helps you build the relationship and helps you say, oh, you know what? Like, the minute I'm in there and I'm talking, I'm like, hey, Echo, we got a gray area here. You know, we got a customer that is threatening to put us on Yelp, but we didn't do anything wrong. How do you think we should handle it? Okay, well, you think we should just tell them, go ahead, put it on Yelp. We don't care, and we'll go to Yelp and we'll talk to them. That might be the good answer. But also, it might be good to say, bro, wait, why are you so mad, customer? Let's talk. To, hey, we want to refund you. We want to take care of you because our customers are important to us. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll give us a positive thing on you. You know what I'm saying? There's right. all this gray area. Yeah. And if you have an open mind to discuss things with your te- team up and down the chain of command, you know what you'll do is you'll you'll get to, in that gray area. You'll start to get clarity. 
Yeah. You'll start to get clarity and you'll start to see better. And you can move through the gray area without being without being so decisive that in a, in a gray area, you don't know if it's black or white, right? Right. So if you decide as the leader, I'm going black, yeah. going black, then when the gray area clears up, it was white that you should have gone with. Yeah. You don't need to do that. In many cases, you can say, okay, I'm going to lean a little bit towards the black because that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you start moving there and you start seeing that, no, this is going to be a white decision. Yeah. Okay, I can recover from that. I can yeah. move backwards and, and re- repair what decision was made. Mm. And the best way to do that is say, hey, guys, here's the situation. Mm. I thought that black was going to be the right decision. I started leaning in that direction. I was wrong. Yeah. Now I see that white is the right answer and we're going with white. Does yeah. anyone have any questions about that? Yeah. Does everyone understand why I did that? Oh, yeah. you don't understand why? Let me explain it to you. Here's what I thought. Here's what I saw. Do you next time? Do you want me to wet, like, contact you so you could? That's what I'm talking about. And by the way, when I'm doing that, I'm building relationships with my team, which is what I want to do. Oh, I just was talking to a leader the other day, and I told him and reiterated something I've said over and over again. The people that did things for me in the teams that were in the Army, the Marine Corps, in the SEAL teams, in my platoon, up and down the chain of command doesn't matter. Ninety nine point nine percent of it wasn't because I had some kind of rank or privilege over them. Mm. It was always because I had a good relationship with people. Mm. And when you build that good relationship with people, that's what it's all about. Then they do things for you. And you know what? You do things for them too. It's not a one-way street that I'm talking about because you won't build any relationships if you're building a one-way street, right? No one's going to be your friend after you just take advantage of them over and over again. Like those people that call you only when they need something from you. (laughs) Right now, I actually don't have a problem with that because I don't communicate with a lot of people. Yeah. Right, I, I communicate on social media with a with a bunch of different people. They'll get you there too. But as far way. as if so, like when one of my buddies calls me up and says, "Hey, I need this favor," I'm like, "Cool, on it." Yeah. I haven't talked to him for nine months. He's only calling me because he needs something from me. Doesn't matter. People mm-hmm. do that with me all the time, and it's cool. Now this is a big group of people. There's like six people in the world. <laughs> And those same six people, they don't call to wish me happy birthday. They don't call to tell me, you know, uh, uh, Merry Christmas. They call me up and say, hey, I need this from you. Can you do it? And I'm like, got it. No factor. Do you even have a birthday? Negative. I have a manufacturing <laughs> date. <laughs> so funny. Like, uh, I'm just trying to imagine someone calling you to wish you happy birthday. I mean, maybe like your wife. Or it so, was awkward know. when I got in the civilian sector and people would be like, when's your birthday? And I'd be like, why, why do you yeah, care? What, do you care? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why are you trying to get my personal information? Yeah, I'm yeah. going to attack you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, what sign are you? No. Yeah, you know. The, that's uh, the thing. The, uh, what was the other funny thing about the birthday deal? Oh, that's like getting presents. I'm, I'm not good with presents. Yeah, man. Like, don't get me any presents. Right. Because I don't want what you got me. Yeah. If I want something, I already right, have you it. get it. Or, yeah. Yeah. So what you got me isn't going to be appreciated. There's one gift that my wife got me one time. And I haven't, I've been thinking about why I haven't talked about this particular whole situation. <laughs> and that's, there's a band called the White Stripes. Sure. White Stripes. And the White Dig Stripes, it. Jack White, Meg White, the White Stripes are awesome. They're an awesome band, mm-hmm. and there's so many layers with the White Stripes. Layers. First of all, there's I'll tell you two layers that I love about the White Stripes. Number one, all their clothing, guitars, drums, keyboards, everything that they have on stage and everything that they have on their record albums, mm. everything that they have is either red, black, or white. 
on all their records since day one. Damn. That's number one. Sweet. Number two, they only have three sounds in any of their songs at any one time. Hmm. So those three sounds could be drums, vocals, guitar. They could be drums, keyboards, vocals. They could be keyboards, guitar, vocals, but they only have three sounds at any one time. So vocals is one of the sounds. Vocals is one oh, of the thanks. sounds. Oh, thanks, only yeah. two instruments. Only, there's only two, and there's only two people in the band. Anyways, the White Stripes is an awesome band, and my wife bought me tickets to go see the White Stripes. Now, I didn't even think about it. I never pay attention to when bands are playing or whatever. So my, and I was, I was, I don't use this term very often, but I was overjoyed <laughs> that she got me tickets to the White Stripes. I was so stoked. Mm. And then Meg White had some issues, and they canceled the whole tour, and they never played again. Dang. And they were like a, a couple weeks away from being in San Diego where I was going to go see the White Stripes. So the question is, ultimately, ultimately, grand scheme of things, mm. was that a good gift to give Jocko? That was an awesome gift to give me. So the, was it the thought that counts in this yes. case? Yes, it was a beautiful was a gift thought, that she right? got me. Yeah. And I was, and I c- couldn't believe she thought of it. Because yeah. normally it's like, oh, you got me a sweater from some store that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm really hard to shop for. Right. I'm really if I want sure. something, I have it, and I don't want yeah. that much. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I want something, I have it. Like <sighs> once every eighteen months, I want something, and okay. then I get it. Yeah, I'll get you like a new T-shirt or something. You wear that. No, one this the T-shirt's time. fine. Don't <laughs> get me a new one. This one works good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's um, yeah, it seems like a good. We good just gift. went off on a tangent. I feel I feel like you went off on a tangent. You know, you know why? Because I was listening to the White Stripes the other day, and I was thinking, I never give the White Stripes the props that they deserve. Yeah, man. And Jack White the props that he deserves right. as a singer-songwriter. Aren't they brother and sister? They're not. Allegedly. That's Alleged. That's they the were image. actually husband and wife. They got divorced, but they always claimed to be brother-sister. It's my little sister, Meg White. More layers. Oh, no, this is my big sister. That's right. Yeah. That's what he always said. Dang. That's good, man. Cool. Well, the original point was these crazy... Savage type people Maybe normal people other than their crazy job. Yeah, and what's and I'm but I'm not saying so it's cool no, I'm not saying that what's at embedded all. I'm in this is weird. you're 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 accountable for your actions. Yeah, regardless of how cool you are Yeah, 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 I agree. and that's something from any leadership position you yeah. need to be aware of and when I say new leadership position, I mean you as a frontline trooper. Because yeah. if you as a frontline trooper is getting told to do something that you know is morally, ethically, or legally wrong, and you still do it, it's on you. Sure, you can point the finger and blame the higher-ups, and the higher-ups should be burned, too, if they told you to do something that was wrong. Yeah. But you need to be accountable for what you did. And that's yeah. all there is to it. Yeah, okay. It's a rough tour. Yeah. No one wants to play that game. The Nazis wanted to play that game. Oh, it's not mine. Hey, I was ordered to do this. Yeah. Can't do that. You can't say that. Don't get that excuse. Yeah. You don't get the I was a good person and I took care of my kids even though I was shoving people into into a gas chamber. You don't get to play that game. No. Yeah, man, it's too much. Brother, there was a small little documentary online. I don't know, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it was about the executioner in the Middle East somewhere, you know, one of these countries mm-hmm. where you know, he, he has his sword yep. and it's his job, you know. Yeah. And 
He's a straight up executioner. Yeah, that's it. That's just his yeah. job. Modern he does day it, job, by and the he's way. Like, yeah, yeah. It was. It wasn't old yeah. school. It no, it's new. like on YouTube. Yeah, like last week. Yeah, and the, but it's like it's funny because the whole feel of the documentary was just real. Like, oh yeah, this guy has a cool job, and he's like slicing people's heads off with great precision, and he's so good at his job. You know, here's his family, and they're loving. You know, and they're you know he's playing with his kids. It's like all this stuff. It's just weird, man. Anyway. Yeah, there's there's another culture. Yeah, it's weird. A lot of gray areas in that one too, my man. Indeed. Kind of. Anyway. Or not. I feel like we should go into the support. Yeah, we should go into the support. Support is one of those good things. Very dynamic. Supporting others, supporting yourself. Supporting others and yourself, which is a, a separate category of support, in my opinion. So there's yourself, others, and yourself and others. That's another category. When I talk about on it, we're talking about all three categories. Support yourself by way of supplementation. And we talk about supplementation all the time, but... No, you talk about supplementation all the time. <laughs> well, you're the one who turned, it, turned me on to it. So actually, some of it. I took Shroom Tech before you... Before pre-podcast? Pre-podcast, I was on Shroom Tech. Um, I was on Alpha Brain, Shroom Tech. I got my shipment of Alpha Brain pills back in. I had run out, and I only had the instant. And so now, like I said, what's nice about the pills is you got something coming to do the podcast. Guess what? Alpha Brain pills. And I might double up on the Alpha Brain if I think I got to really get my right, game, right. get engaged. <laughs> yeah. But it's good to have the the capsules. Yeah. As well. I dig it. But what's cool about the drink is it tastes good and I if you get the sweet tooth itch going and you want yeah. something sweet and you get the peach, yeah. the yeah. natural peach, not the spicy. The spicy has a different situation going on. Sure. The peach is just straight up like tasty, like peach. Yeah, peach. Juice. Peach kind juice of. kind of situation. Yeah, kind of like that. Agreed. Um, I dig it, the pills. I dig it. And that's actually what we had was the pills. Um, I said we because me and my brother, we were like, oh, yeah, alpha brain. But when they came out with the instant, that was better. And it starts to become like this little kind of ritual. You know, you mix up your alpha yeah. brain, you know, kind of thing. And it's instant. I don't know. just seems like either way, it doesn't matter. Um, if I haven't mentioned it already, I think I did. These are supplements from on it. On it.com. Um, we, we talk about the supplements, but there's like workouts. I just bought a jump rope. Did you? Yeah. See, so well, when I was young, go I was good at jump rope. I was roping. pretty good at jump rope too. Yeah. And then as I, you know, as I think kind of when, when, I don't know, maybe early 20s kind of stopped. So that's a long time ago. Jump rope is awesome. Yeah. So, I, and you know, you know how like, like riding a bike, you, you kind of yeah. stay good at something but a little not, bit. You're rusty. You're rusty. Yeah. You're definitely going to be rusty. You can't shred and you can't go as long, you know, like that kind yeah. of stuff. It's weird because it, you know how jump rope you Yeah, you know what's weird is back in the day of boxing. Yeah, boxing, jumping rope for three minutes was like no factor. Yeah. Go jump. Five, go, ten minute warm up. Yeah. Go get your jump rope right now and just get out, <laughs> get out, get out three minutes on the rounds. Know, you feel it. Yeah. So, yeah, I bought one of those. And it's so. The interesting thing about that is jump rope technology has changed a little bit. So what is it, made of steel? 
No, well, there's. I'm sure there's steel in there. Uh-huh. So, but it's like each handle has a swivel. The little. I mean, it's oh, yeah. simple, but there's like now. way more to it than before. Last time it was like two wooden handles and a yeah. rope. Yeah, for sure. Actual rope. This one is like a cord that survives all this stuff. I don't know. Anyway, got a jump rope. There's jump ropes one. on there if you want. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a jump off. Yeah, I was pretty good too. <laughs> hey, remember when like. When you jump rope and then when the, the you know how like in this was like elementary school and if you'd get tired or you couldn't keep a rhythm they'd say hey just just wave it from yeah. back and forth you yeah. know what I mean? Well, that, that's, that's a name for you. that move. Yeah. Uh, what's it called when you tutero tutero when you boom like a like a matador no. isn't it called matador Wait, when, when you, you just, just go yeah go side to side yeah you can't get it or yeah. whatever yeah no, you just get that rhythm going oh yeah i don't know the name i never had to do that because i was expert level oh, even yeah. in elementary school Talking but that's smack. that's gonna be you if in fact you want to step up so you can get that on on it not just if you want if you want kettlebells so. on there too the good kind well kettlebells are good straight yeah. up they're all yeah. good and but on it has those artistic ones yeah because we've been those add another heads. layer, but they have the regular one. I think they're called competition ones. I don't Various know. Don't quote heads. me on that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, you get the legend bells, which is like what the Cyclops, the werewolf. Bro, look at them. They're they're dope. And then you have primal <laughs> bells, which is like all the you know primates and stuff. Yeah, I think I got the chimp, two chimps, and two werewolves. Yeah. See, I have I have zombie bells. Mine are just evil zombies. How big is the the one you have? I forget. I gotta look. Yeah, that's like it's like designer. You you probably keep it inside too, huh? Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> you really do. No, the one that I keep inside is <laughs> not f- the the ones in my garage are for the, the long heavy work. This one is for oh, I'm tired of writing right now. I'm gonna bang out some snatches. Right, boom, right. Boom, boom, boom. God, feel a lot better now. I'm yeah. gonna write more. I'm gonna write harder. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But yeah, this, anyway, the, the point there is there's very cool things on the website, onit.com. Uh, the, and the supplements, it's not to mention this, the fact is the supplements are straight up the best ones. Straight up. Because from the beginning, and how's this? And I don't know if we already mentioned this, but I hear it all. I, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time. How. Name drop. Yep. <laughs> I listen to Joe Rogan all the time. And he says these things. And I believe them. Um, if you get, like, I don't know, Shroom Tech. Yeah. And you're like, hey, I didn't feel it. I got tapped out. So, you know, I expect more out of Shroom Tech. I expect this to make me tap out everybody. I don't like it. Send it back? No, you don't even send it back. You send them an e- email saying, hey, I don't like this stuff. They'll just send your money back. You don't huh. even have to send it back. That's pretty awesome then. Yep. But don't be trying to be like, hey, I'm going to give me my money back. And the next month after you're done with it, order some more and then do it again. Don't well, do I'm that sure kind of stuff. Track you. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get ostracized. Nonetheless, um, krill oil, that's the one you don't want to not have krill oil. Yep. Even if you're like a young guy, in my opinion, we sh- I should have always been on krill oil. You should have. Yeah. And if you're not on krill oil, I think you are like a step behind joint wise. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, which puts you behind in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. Yeah, you now you're not working out as hard. Not working out as hard. Struggling through various activities Oof. in everyday life. Yep. I, t- I told this story, whatever, but I do it all the time. You know, when you fill up water in the big five gallon jugs. Yeah. You know, and Brad, do that at night when it's kind of cold. It's like, Brad, you got to carry those things <laughs> from the thing to your car. You don't want to be worried about my knees or whatever. Your back. The trials and you tribulations, think, and you got to put it in there, bro. You think Maybe I'm you should write your own book, dude. 
what about what? like the tri- the kind of crazy trials you've been through carrying water <laughs> on a cool night in Southern California. <laughs> I know, uh, I know, very fresh and pure water, by the way. Yeah, it doesn't make it any lighter though. That you still have to struggle. But here's the thing, though. There are micro. They're called. They're called micro struggles. Is really what they are. You know, standing okay. in line. Yeah. Actually, the standing in line thing. That's not a struggle. That's manufactured struggle. So it's like an exercise in discipline and embracing struggle. That's okay. what it is. It's not an actual struggle bestowed upon your heaped on your shoulders. You know that you have to bear in everyday life. That's not what's the standing in line. That's with why heavy you need your own is. book about Echo's struggles. Right. You can you can document these various. <laughs> Me looking for a specific wine. Yeah, that one was a big one. Wine was there a tomato a one too? Like some kind of tomato sauce? No, I went. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The tomato sauce struggle, the wine struggle, the, the holding the groceries. Now we got the fill in the water bottles. There's four chapters, mic- bro. Micro struggles. Yeah. And filling up the water is not a struggle because I'm on the krill oil. Oh. Omega 3s right into my joints, straight into my joints. <laughs> uptake. High percentage uptake. Anyway, get on the krill oil. I'm on the strong bone now too, by the way, for that's for tendons, the tendon attaching to the bone. Strontium doesn't, good about it? doesn't, I feel really good about yeah. it actually more pre- preventative because I, because I lift. Yeah. Nonetheless, um, <laughs> strontium that's in strong bone that get doesn't it, that doesn't hit the uh, like the limelight isn't on that all the time. It's all on calcium most of the time. Like calcium makes your bone strong. Strontium just as much. So get on the strong bone. Uh, bone strength. Also, Alpha Brain, obviously, Shroom Tech for high high performance. Go on the website. Whatever you need, they got it. They even got, like, uh, try blend peanut butter. Nut butter. It's not peanut butter. It's, like, <laughs> almond, cashew, and walnut. Don't know. Anyway, it's delish. Get on that one. Anyway, on it.com slash Jocko if you want 10% off. Pay full price. Uh, that's all. That's up to you, really. You know what I'm saying? Mm, I wouldn't recommend it. I I don't even know of anyone who would recommend that. Also, also, good way to support. If you're interested in the book, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankel. What I have done is I put on the website a page with all of the books, all of them, that Jocko has covered. Every once in a while, Jocko will cover an article. The, the links, maybe I'll do that. But nonetheless, the books are all on there. All in order, too, by the way. So the most recent is going to be at the top. This one will be on there. It is on there. If you want to support, click on there if you're going to get the book. Click through there. Directs you straight to Amazon. What if you're doing other shopping? Hey, man, go ahead. Do the same thing click on it we have a banner on the front page too and then you can click on there yeah and then you can do your shopping yeah if you want that sounds like a good plan even if you're buying duct tape <laughs> also do you have a link to your favorite duct tape on there no dang I don't know sometimes I say things that are just so inherently brilliant <laughs> it makes me wonder yeah. so we will have a duct tape link um, link for sure yeah just in case everyone needs duct tape and they especially need it when they get done listening to the podcast. They're, they're thinking about the things that they're going to be duct taping together. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. You know why I mentioned duct tape in the beginning? And I, did, I didn't really realize this because I didn't think about it until a handful of people asked me. You know why? Why? 
because I used to watch MacGyver all the time. Actually, I still watch MacGyver. That's his thing, man. No, no, no. It's on a channel called Clue. C-L-O-O. Random random channel. Yeah. It's like a retro channel, kind of. Apparently. MacGyver, man. Well, there's a new MacGyver, by the way. A new one. Is it lame? I don't think it's as good as the old one, but it could be just my... You know how you get attached to your old shows? It could be that. But MacGyver was dope back in the day, so, you know, whichever. And that was his thing, duct tape. People people like to say, ooh, paperclip, right? MacGyver with the paper, he I, he never really had a paperclip. Really? He had duct tape. That was his thing. His I don't Swiss know if I wasn't watching TV. All right, wait, that's on you, and I, I dig it, but. I was busy getting after it. <laughs> he had the Swiss Army knife and the duct tape. That was his thing. Everything else he just found in his environment, his environment which, which changed from episode to episode. Nonetheless, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all these platforms that provide uh, podcasts. We're on all of them. Boom, subscribe, whichever one you use. Even if you use two, I guess, right? I mean, does, do people use two I, platforms? You know why? Like, why did I do that the other day? There's some reason I, I had to go to a different platform. So I have a backup platform. Boom. Subscribe to both. Yeah. Right. Is that kind of like YouTube and Vimeo? You know, Maybe. some guys will have a Vimeo account <laughs> as well. I don't know why that got escalated it, in your okay. voice. <laughs> YouTube and Vimeo. You know, bro, I'll tell you what, what. I don't know why, but this could be the reason why. Because YouTube. Okay, so Vimeo is kind of for like professional people who fancy themselves as like filmmakers. Like right. here's my piece yeah. that I've made. In a, Artists. It tends to be that. Right. YouTube is just like <laughs> guys. YouTube is kind of that too, but overall, yeah, camera. exactly right. Just throw yeah. my video. It's YouTube. Like, right. you know, the tube TV, it's you. Whatever you are. Vimeo is, I don't know the name. I guess I can think about it, but nonetheless, that's what it shook itself out to be, mm-hmm. you know? So it's funny when people are like, I'm not on YouTube. I'm on Vimeo. I'm an artist. Yeah. yeah. But do you do you have to do anything to be on Vimeo, or you just still submit? No, same video? thing. Same exact thing. It's yeah. exactly like YouTube, except for the fact which now that I'm thinking about it makes sense. Where if you upload a video, and you're like, oh man, in one of these titles midway through the video, I spelt it wrong, which happens to me sometimes. You can go back into your account and replace the video, even if it's been up for a week. You, you can, can do just that on Vimeo or YouTube. Vimeo, YouTube, you cannot. Yeah, it's a new video. Yeah, it's like you got to upload again. And here's the thing: you can't upload the same f- file. Got to rename because it because YouTube. Will, no, you got to re. It'll. It has all these little this little information in the file. They'll be like, "Hey, that's a duplicate file. You can't do that." Oh. You know, probably has something to do with the advertising. I don't know. Nonetheless, subscribe to Jocko Podcast on YouTube if you like that channel. We're trying to provide what do you call providing value. You know, that's don't say that. It doesn't even sound cool. That's another. It sounded cool when I first heard it, but that's another. That's another one of those things where it sounded cool. And then everyone thought like me or I think like everyone else, whatever. And so everyone started using it. Now it's like people are abusing it. I'm over here just trying to provide value. And it just, you know, it starts to sound like a good voice. You just do out there. You really don't do voices other than escalation. <laughs> Thanks, Jocko. Anyway, su- subscribe to YouTube. We're trying to provide some value there with the excerpts and various other clips, aside from the video version of this podcast. Your Memorial Day one was really good, man. I liked it. Yeah, it was a powerful, powerful letter. Yeah. A bunch of other stuff. Um, Like, Jocko has a store. Mm-hmm. 
It's called Jocko Store. <laughs> if you didn't already know, JockoStore.com. What do we have on Jocko Store? We have T-shirts. If you I wear just realized that Jocko also has a podcast. Sure. Called Jocko, Jocko Podcast. <laughs> Jocko has white tea. It's called Jocko White Tea. Yeah. I think I see a trend here. Yeah. Yeah. The trend is real for sure. Um, nonetheless, the lack shirts. of originality and name. Well, no. Things. Yeah. So in a way, because here there are layers in that too, and there is sophistication to that, even though it seems simple. Oh. Because. There I was being sophisticated. <laughs> you are being sophisticated even because it. there's more to Jocko than just oh yeah, that just happens to be my name. There's two. There's more to that. It goes beyond this podcast, beyond the T, beyond Dang. whatever. Right? Okay. So just let's just start with that fact, which is complex in and of itself. <laughs> then you're like, okay, look, this is what roughly considered a company, technically. Maybe I guess, I guess if you had to, if you had to, a guy asked me today, good. what do I do? Like for a living. And I was like, I was like, well, well, just like stuff. Yeah. And he goes, well, what would you, how would you, what did he say? He said, well, how would you describe what you do? And I said, stay busy. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) But technically, as far as, (laughs) (laughs) dang, I haven't heard that one in a while. Cool. Jockopodcast.com. That's an entity. We'll call it an entity. I don't know. Company? It, business? It's a place where we have the web the stuff. N- nonetheless. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and out on a limb and call it a brand. Nah, that's it's brandish. Whatever. Nonetheless, if you call, okay, well, Jocko Store, that's the name of the store. Yeah. Well, that's know? true. So, and to be honest with you, the reason that, that I called the podcast Jocko Podcast. When I was on Tim Ferriss's podcast, mm-hmm. I said Jocko Hungry. I and I don't even know. I th- I don't know if I just said. I don't know if it's on the podcast or not. But he, I think he says, I'm like, oh, you know, we got to go get some food. And I was like, Jocko Hungry. Right. And then I was like, oh, we're gonna do a podcast. We're like a Jocko podcast. Right. That was the initial thought. There's the layer. Makes sense. Yeah. That and that's a. But even with naming the stores. other thing is, I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do and not care. Yeah, and that makes I, sense. I knew we were going to talk about jujitsu and fighting and music and hardcore and war and death, and I just wanted to not have any limitations. And the only way I could do that, because if you give the podcast a name like, you know, the Ultimate Getting Business in. Podcast, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, okay, well, then well, next thing you know, we're talking about war, and or if you call it the War Podcast, but you're talking about business, or if you talk, yeah. talk about the Leadership Podcast, but you're talking about jujitsu. So yeah. how do you get all those things into one thing? Call the Jocko Podcast, and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And if people are looking for you, they see you talk about X Y Z. They're oh, like, true. oh, you know, I sure I can look up X Y Z. Easy connection, yeah, and it's simple, yeah. which is like you know, simplicity th- goes a long way. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of like a thing. So why are we talking about this? I'm just saying that's why it's called Jocko Store. Oh yeah, that's right. So because it is a you store. Know people want to do other things in their life besides listen to our advertisements. <laughs> Well, you're the one chiming in. I'm over here trying to talk about. Jocko Actually, I Store. noticed that the other day when we had Roger Hayden on, mm-hmm. and I gave you the silent treatment. And, and when you looked at me for affirmation while you were giving the advertisements, <laughs> I didn't even nod. <laughs> I just looked at you, and you got you actually got uncomfortable. Yeah, you actually got uncomfortable. You were like, maybe you you the look on your face, like you'd look at me like I was going to give you a <laughs> smile. I know, and I'd just look at you like, hurry up. And then you got uncomfortable, and I said, oh, he's he's starting to feel it. Yeah, gave you no like, mercy. Yeah, that's like subtle pressure. Mercy at all. No, nah, man, it's all good. You know, so do that again right now. You know, 
so I can talk about the store, Jocko Store, JockoStore.com. If you like t-shirts, now I'm not saying if you like t-shirts in general. I'm just saying if you want to represent discipline equals freedom, what get after it. Know the darkness. Know the darkness. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, you know. Anyway, go on the store, JockoStore.com. You can see shirts if you like them. Go ahead, get one. Support that way. That's a good one. We've got some rash guards on there. One new rash guard out already. It says get after it on it. Discipline on one sleeve. Freedom on the other sleeve. Jocko approved. <laughs> really good. Um, I, I think it's good. I, I feel that the people who have witnessed it. Is that pompous to say witnessed it? Like there's some <laughs> kind of. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. even a lot. <laughs> Anyone that's witnessed my rash guard that yeah, I made yes. Charles. That I bestowed upon them yeah, by way about, of visual how about people that? How about people that saw it thought it was a little pretty cool? They thought it was that's cool. They thought it was cool. realistic. Yeah, they thought it was cool. <laughs> and um, so there it is. You go in the store, you look at it. If you, if you think it's cool, if you, you personally want one? to witness the glory of Echo Charles's <laughs> rash guards, you may go to jockostore.com yeah. and revel in the glory. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And whatever else you want, there's some good stuff on there. I, we added this little thing too. If we're out, and I'm trying to like, I'm trying to restock, you know, restock. Boom! But I added this little thing where if like let's say size medium or whatever is out, you, it just says, "Oh, little button, notify me." Boop! Put your email. Boom! Notifies you when it's back in stock. And again, I'm trying to put them back in stock ASAP. Boom! 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 Right now. But you know, give me a day or two or whatever. Um, we'll notify you. Boom. Also, Psychological Warfare. If you didn't know what that is, it's an album with, with tracks. tracks. <laughs> Not music tracks. <laughs> word tracks. Sent, like, spoken word, you know. So, basically, what it's for is, you know, it's not like poetry. Well, arguably, not poetry, but it's Jocko on there talking. Talking to us, to me. Jocko's talking to me. I actually quite literally was talking to you yeah, when that was made. Exactly right. So, you know, you can have him talk to you. So basically what it's for is he's not just talking like everyday stuff. So when you have a hard time waking up in the morning or you have a hard time because you're tired and you want to skip the workout or you have a hard time because, you know, oh, it's lunchtime and I'm all hungry and all they have is donuts here or whatever. What, what else? What if you're procrastinating? Also, if you're procrastinating or what do you call it? What if you're procrastinating ending the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could listen to that one right now. We could carry on. I'm trying to explain this thoroughly so that, so we can all have a, a really good understanding of what it is it's, and its value. That's that's It's really downloadable. Important. Me talking about moments of weakness so you can get through them. Yeah. Next, yeah. Ever, n- next comment. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Let me add this one more thing. <laughs> Actually, you can even take it at moments of triumph and strength, oh. and it'll still work. You'll just want to do it more, you know? Yeah. It's like drinking coffee when you're not tired. You know what I mean? Yeah. Double down. Yeah, let that sink in. Anyway, psychological, psychological warfare. warfare on I. Tunes, Amazon Music, all these music Google, things. Google Play. Google Play? I think I think it's on everything. Cool. But yeah, man, do it. Right on. All right. Also, you can get Jocko White Tea on Amazon. And when you order Jocko White Tea, make sure you also order more weights for your barbells. <laughs> because your deadlift is going to go up to approximately 8,000 pounds. So you need to get that much weights when you order it. Weigh the Warrior Kid. Book. 
it's been out for a couple weeks now and thank you for getting it also little warning that someone put on Amazon in their review I thought it was worth hearing and thinking about parents be ready I bought this book after listening to Jocko on the Joe Rogan podcast where Jocko was the guest great podcast bought the book after learning Jocko has a book for kids my son who isn't very motivated yet was excited about the book when he started reading the book a fire lit underneath him he said to me dad I'm gonna get up tomorrow at 5 a.m. will you get up with me in that moment I realized that I was what I was going what was going on and I couldn't let him down I enjoy my sleep like everyone else but I was amazed that my son got excited so I replied yes let's do it got up at 5 a.m. and his alarm clock must not have gone off but I turned on his light in his bedroom and he got right up he got his clothes and shoes on and we went for a jog we've never done this before I had him do some sit-ups and push-ups after and he gladly did couldn't quite do push-ups but that's okay we'll get there Long story short, this book only being a few chapters, and he only a few chapters in. I was kind of surprised when I saw that. Only a few chapters in made the book worth getting. In this day and age of electronics and iPads and tablets, kids don't seem to be as motivated to do activities as when I was a kid. I'm 39, so I edified him after for making the decision to get up at 5 a.m. on a non-school day, and I told him that he can apply that mentality to anything in life. Boom, way the warrior kid. Get it for your kid. Be prepared to get yourself back in the game. Also, discipline equals freedom field manual. The instructional manual for getting after it. Feel free to pre-order that one. Also, extreme ownership, combat leadership. Combat leadership and also combat leadership. That's what the book is about, how to apply the fundamental principles of combat leadership to your business and to your life. Also, for a more hands-on experience, you can call Echelon Front, our leadership and management consulting company, myself, Leif Babin, J.P. Donnell, Dave Burke. You can contact us at info at echelonfront.com. Also, The Muster, Austin Texas, July 13th and 14th at the Omni Barton Creek Resort. No fluff. There's no fluff. Just pragmatic information you can act on immediately. You can literally, in a break, email your team and give instructions that's going to move them in the right direction. In the Austin Muster, there's only 300 seats. Smaller venue. It's going to sell out, so get online, get registered. If you can't make it to that one, come to San Diego in September. September 14th and 15th for Muster 004. We'll be there live. And while you're waiting for the Muster, if you need to communicate with us, you can find us on the interwebs, on Twitter or on Instagram, on that facey boha. <laughs> Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And to the military personnel out there holding the line in places no one wants to be doing things that no one else wants to do, thanks for keeping us free. To police, law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, and other first responders, thanks for keeping us safe. And for everyone else out there, Remember, 
remember what human beings are capable of suffering through and remember that even in those situations where everything seems to be taken away when you seem to have no choice at all in the world remember remember that you can still choose how you react to the things around you you can still choose your attitude and you can still choose to actualize the best person that you can be in every aspect of your life you can choose to get after it so until next time this is echo and jocko out